Welcome to Pod So One. This is uh, episode eight, I think. Um, and today we have the honor of having my dear friend uh, Jim Pexock on. Thank you, thank you. Thanks yeah. for yeah, thanks for coming on, man. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. So, Jim, you were born in uh, Virginia Beach, born and raised. Is born that right? And raised, yeah. Okay. And uh, you spent a lot of your childhood playing tennis. Yeah. Yeah, like I did. A significant. Was yeah. that like the really the only sport you played? It was definitely the the main one. Like I played all all other sports. So I actually used to play baseball and tennis to about the same degree. Uh, and the swings are like really different, and they're kind of like messing each other up. So I chose tennis. But really, yeah, tennis was my was my one true sports love. Uh, it probably comes from my dad. My dad played tennis. Um, like he'd been playing for a really long time. So I so, remember being like four years old, and he would take me out, and we would just hit. How long did you play tennis for? So I started playing when I was four, and then I've been playing. I had a shoulder injury in college, so I kind of had to take a step back and found frisbee, which was another true sports love. Um, but That's yeah. where we met. Yeah, yeah, like twenty-four years. Twenty-four years. Yeah, I've been playing tennis for twenty-four years. So just so I can write the description on this, like, what would you say? Did you ever win like a trophy or a championship or anything to that? I came in. Well, actually, William Mary came in 63rd out of 64 teams in nationals. <laughs> but at least they qualified for nationals, right? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. We, we ended up playing the team that, um, that won the whole tournament, uh, UC Berkeley. They were dirty good. It was like, yeah. I don't, yeah, it, was, it was wild. But we, my, I was a doubles player, and we lost uh, the set 6-4. So I felt like, you know, yeah, we held our own. That's competitive. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I, was, I was very proud. Against to, like, the winner? 6-4. Yeah. 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 So that was your sport, like you played that oh, yeah. growing up. Yeah, like practice three times a week. Would do like visualization practice. I used to meditate and just picture like a fuzzy yellow tennis ball in my mind, and then try to like drop everything out. You know, just like have like a black background and just see a tennis ball. Do you still use that? Um, you know, meditation exercise. Not not the tennis ball per se, but it's uh, definitely like that. Just doing something that intensely. Did it make you a better player? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Because like, once you can meditate and just watch the ball, it's like getting in the zone. So you can almost train yourself to like get in the zone. Wow. Look at you split. Yeah, I, I've heard, I didn't know it was a thing. Yeah. I've heard that, I don't know about meditation, but visualization is a big thing for trying to be successful. And yeah. like Steph Curry like gets into a... The, def- the sensory, sensory deprivation def- tank? Yeah. I, I want to go on one of those so bad. Yeah, yeah, man. I've got one back there. You do? No, I'm kidding. By the urinal. I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I should have started with that. (laughs) For real. So tennis was your big thing. Yeah. Um, What else, like, from your childhood? That that I was into? Um, Oh, man. Mythbusters, that was huge. Any, like, science TV show, I would, like, stay up late. and I had an old TV in my room because it was too heavy to move. And my parents didn't know that I fixed it up and, like, plugged it in. Nice. <laughs> yeah. How old were you when you fixed it? Uh, I didn't really. Like, I just, like, plugged in all the cords. But I was, like, eight. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But I had to, like, plug it into, like, the, the phone jack or something weird. And eventually, one day, it just, like, turned on. And it was, like, magic. No way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I used to stay up late. My bedtime was nine. And the new Mythbusters episodes came on at 9 p.m. Um, and my, my sister and I are like really tight. We like slept in the same bed up until we were like early teenagers. Right. Um, so she would come in my room and that would like, you know, we'd just sleep there and like watch Mythbusters on like volume one and then turn it off during commercial breaks. So just in case somebody walked in, we wouldn't be found. Dang, dude. I feel like as a parent, you can't be mad at your kid for wanting to watch Mythbusters. (laughs) (laughs) Now now that I'm older, they 100% knew. (laughs) 
Oh, yeah? <laughs> oh, I'm sure they did. Because okay. it's like, you know, a couple of kids, an eight-year-old and a five-year-old could only be but so quiet. Yeah, yeah. You know? And you think you're being all silent, oh, but was, they, they, it's they know. Super stealth, but they, they do. Oh, man. Yeah. And, they, and they definitely can't be mad at you, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, like, how would you react, Paul, if your kids were watching Mythbusters? I'd be pretty pumped, yeah, actually. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to, like, TikTok. I don't know enough about TikTok to react, but I'm based on how you're asking that question. Yeah, I shouldn't be happy with <laughs> well, watching TikTok late at night. Yeah, I just feel like there's a lot more dangerous things that you can get into nowadays. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, like this was like a you know hundred pound TV. It was not like I was going to sneak it anywhere. <laughs> put it in my pocket. Yeah, <laughs> what what kind of phone did you like? When did you get your first phone, and what kind of phone was okay, it? Okay, so this actually this comes back to tennis. Believe it or not, so I was on JV tennis, and we used to travel sometimes, and I convinced my parents that I needed a cell phone just in case we got stuck in traffic so they didn't have to sit and wait at the parking lot at school for like, you know, an it's hour. a solid argument. Yeah. yeah, it was. It worked. But I didn't have any texting, so I just had like the ability to make phone calls. So, uh, but, so you, you, you kind of have always had this like need to be active. Oh, yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. So your shoulder so, got hurt. Yeah, no, I think my ideal day in college, I was on the tennis team and frisbee team and then i played a lot of intramural sports there's a day where i played like eight hours of sports in one day it was it was amazing uh but i think that probably led to the shoulder injury to be honest yeah um but yeah definitely a need to be active i think sports are just like a great way to express yourself it's re- it really as corny as it sounds it's like poetry in motion it, for different reasons tennis was something that you know i've been playing since i was four and you know you get to the point where you push yourself really hard and you want to win and it's almost like a love-hate relationship where it drives you nuts and, yeah there were like tons of arguments with my dad where i would like you know throw my racket in the bag and just like walk off and i'd like walk home and he would pick up all the balls and drive home and i'd come back two hours later and be like hey i'm sorry will you still hit with me you know do you think um, you would have quit if your dad hadn't um been like encouraging of you to, um, to continue I might have. I quit's the wrong word. So I, my dad was like the person I hit with. So if I didn't have him to hit with in high school, you know, I probably wouldn't have played very much outside of like tennis season. Kind of like now, you know, it's like hard to find somebody to hit with. So mm-hmm. yeah, I still play every now and then, like you know, a couple times a year. Okay. But not to the point where I was like, you know, I was hitting with my dad like three times a week. Right. Um, so him being there, being your hitting partner. Oh yeah, like he'd be like, all right, you know, like he would set up the lessons and set up like you know, reserve the court. So like in the winter we had like a, you know, our time of like, you know, two hours on Sundays, we would play from 7 PM to 9 PM, you know, like every, you know, every week. Like so a machine. Like a, oh yeah. Yeah. Jim's dad is a machine. He's the most efficient person I've ever met. He's really? Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. He's, um, he's the type of guy that like does Thanksgiving dinner and just has like everything come out at the same time. And it's like, he doesn't make it from scratch. So he'll like do a lot of like Kroger, but, but like the plan is amazing, oh, and play, the execution yeah. against the plan is all equally amazing. Yeah, yeah. He, he is a logistical maestro, from what I hear. Yeah, yeah. It's it's wild. It's oh. wild. And he does this thing where he sleeps like. In- <laughs> yeah, so he gets like four or five hours of sleep a night, and then, um, yeah, typically every day he'll take a thirty-minute uh, like nap during work on his lunch break. Sometimes you know that you know that schedule's thrown off, so he'll we'll be driving and he'll just get a little sleepy. So we'll pull over at a rest stop and be like, "All right, I'm gonna take a nap and uh, get out of the car because we're too loud and talking and can't fall asleep in five minutes." But he'll like legit fall asleep in five minutes oh, wow. to the point where he's snoring. I come back, I you know type on the glass when the ten minutes or five minutes have been up, and he's like, "Yeah," you know, wakes up, coughs a little bit. It's like, "Oh, all right, let's go," and just is good for another hour and a half. 
almost like a like a phone that you just like plug in and charge. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just like recharges. He's been doing that forever. Yeah, every he's a doctor too, so okay. he I apparently learned how to do it during residency. He's a doctor too. Oh, yeah. What are you are you saying that you're a doctor? Uh, you know, I'm starting to feel more that way at the end of third year. Like, yeah. I, I know things, and I don't. I don't think I would. Yeah, I kind of know things. I, I feel like a doctor. You're starting to identify. That's, yeah, that's yeah. awesome, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that really is. cool. Um, and so this third year that you're in, actually, let's back up. So you went to William and Mary, and then and then. Oh yeah, and then frisbee happened frisbee yeah. and you know you always like to be active yeah uh, so we were talking about different types of sports and how like tennis it's like that love hate thing where it's um just like any skill where it, it takes a lot of effort to master and a lot of like you get more out of it because you're putting so much into it frisbee right. is like the complete opposite all you do is just run around and have a great time and it, it gets you know more strategically intensive the higher up you go but you can have a great time just yeah. like hanging out with anybody and the communication style was just like, you know, so much more in line with who I am as a person than tennis. You know, tennis, you're really on an island. You're like a golfer. You're just like in your own head. It's horribly individual. Yeah. Yeah, it's rough. Yeah. And frisbee is like the exact opposite. I've never played a sport where there's, I think like inherent in the sport is like the transition, immediate transition from offense to defense. You just have to communicate really strongly. Oh, yeah. And then also just there's... um like the only goal is to catch the frisbee in the end zone, and you can get there in so many different types of ways and win conditions, and you know there's good matchups and bad matchups, but you can't run with the disc, so you basically have to advance the disc by moving it to another person. Yeah. So it, you can't just have like one superstar who's just gonna like, uh, who's a good example? Um, Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, there are some Marshawn Lynch. Type players who are just beasts, but you can't just hand the ball. You guys off. can't throw out Marshawn Lynch and not explain yourself. <laughs> Do you know who Marshawn Lynch is? I know exactly who Marshawn yeah. Lynch is. Yeah, well, he's just saying like you can't have one person be the linchpin of a good offense. Ooh, ooh. Marshawn had probably the best run in a playoff game ever. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, I was against seen... the Saints in Seattle, it actually registered on the Richter scale. Yeah, I mean that that run made you think he was the only player on the team. Exactly. But, but they won the game because it's a team sport. You need all you do. 52 yeah. guys playing well. Yeah. yeah. Or like thinking like Tom Brady is – they think that he's the only one on the Patriots team. Or it's, yeah. it's easy to think like that because – For sure. And just yeah. so you're clear – so we're all clear. I actually watched Ultimate Frisbee less than a week ago. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. you did? Okay. Yeah. What game it's, did you watch? I, I don't remember. It was uh, semifinals or nationals. Is it that time of year? No. Or maybe just a, maybe just a – Maybe it was a rerun. It was like ESPN2 or something. That's really Oh, cool. Yeah. It could have been a uh, club, something. Was it college? Do you remember? They looked older than college. Yeah, it was probably like some kind of club. What uh, What were your thoughts from the perspective of somebody with a three-foot-by-three-foot Buccaneers flag in the basement? What were your thoughts? It's, uh, it, it's very similar to uh, a lot of sports like soccer, basketball, uh, even ice hockey, where there's flow matters. There's no offsides in ultimate, Mm -mm. right? Yeah, you can cherry pick all you want, but there are rules around. You can't. You have to pivot, right? You can't just keep walking down the the field, right? Yeah, and it's your flow, how you play with your teammates, uh, being selfless when you need to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it's fun to watch. Yeah, it's probably fun to play too. Like when you were talking about how. I love the tennis frisbee contrast because you're it's so it's a huge contrast. I've never played tennis, but the one of the things about frisbee that I like a lot that I don't really see except maybe in basketball is how active the sideline is. 
when people are getting inside their own heads. Like, let's say that you like miss a catch and it's an easy catch and you drop it and it's a turnover to the other team. You, you let your teammates down. It's, it's, awful, yeah, right. But, yeah. but what happens is that the sideline, if you're on a good team, will be like, pick it up, get on D, uh, don't worry about it, make up for it. Like, they just start shouting encouragements at you and, you, you work a, your ass off. Yeah, there's like a sense where you're looking for somebody that is having like a hard time or has like a tough matchup, and you're like talking through that, talking to that person, talking them through whatever they're working on. You know, whether it's like giving them instruction if they're like a younger player, or just like if it's an older player and they drop a pass, you like you say, "No, you got this." And like you just, yeah. and everybody on the sidelines is really like looking for that and looking for what they can do actively to like build somebody up. I like which it. Is, yeah, it's very different than tennis, which is like. Uh, it would be a huge faux pas to like talk to anybody who's having a hard time. It's like you just have to like let them figure it out on their own. So was, uh, when I was playing both, I tried to introduce some of the cheers that we did on Frisbee to the tennis team. <laughs> this is at Nationals, 63rd out of 64. I think, uh, I think we would have done better had we cheered. <laughs> oh, yeah. But your teammates weren't up for it? No, I was like, hey, we're going to do this. You know, we're going to sing. Not even anything crazy, you know. It was just like our, our school fight song. I was like... Yeah, before the first match of the day, let's um, let's let's sing the school fight song. You know, just get some school spirit. Let everybody else know. William Mary's no joke. We're here to show up, <laughs> and uh, they were like, no, 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 no. So I got one other guy to do it with me, and it fizzled out halfway. It was worse than even. Was it your doubles uh, partner that did it with you? Uh, no, oh. no, it was a different. It was a singles player, uh, actually. Interestingly, whereas yeah, very interestingly, the fris- on the frisbee side, um, we always do that at the beginning of a tournament or before a match. And it's the most high energy. Everyone's yelling it. It's it's so great. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like you feel like you can take on LeBron James. Yeah. Right after you're done with it. Yeah. yeah. So. How many players on a team? Um, seven on the field, each. Um, and then you could have, uh, you can you can have like subs. I mean, usually yeah. there's what you call an offense O line and a D line. Uh, like kind of with football, you have the offensive players and the defensive players. Because um, kind of like attack midfield and defense and soccer kind of thing. Uh, so it's a lot. It's so there's two people who are always throwing, um, just to have some sort of structure usually. And then there's usually somebody in the beginning of the play who's in the front of the stack who's like a third person where it's like a bailout person where if mm-hmm. things go bad they can just kind of like squirt out and they can keep the frisbee moving so you don't have a turnover. But other than that, everybody else has the same role more or less, so, and you kind of rotate through. Um, almost like a uh, almost like a belt like fashion like a conveyor belt where like yeah. the person from the back will run to the front and hopefully you know throw one juke and beat their man and then get open and then if they're not open like immediately clear out and then give the opportunity for the next person to right. like make a juke yeah that makes sense yeah 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 everything's moving all the time is there a time limit for holding the frisbee yeah you have to throw it within 10 seconds Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Is that like a uh, manual ref kind of doing it in his head, or is it's there an actual The defending clock? player actually counts it out loud. Oh, and they call it. Yeah. They, yeah. So sometimes there's like people who count like one, two, three. Sure, because they're, they're amped up. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah exactly. And yeah. the Navy, we used to play the Navy, and they would scream it in your face. Like, they, the, Na- like the Naval Academy? <laughs> yep. Yep. We got, I <laughs> our told our, our last podcast is with the Na- Naval Academy grad. Yeah. We should have brought that up, yeah. Yeah, from a while ago, though, he was. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so good times, dude. Oh, very, um, very much so. Daniel was the captain. What? For a while, yeah. Of he sure the was. B team. 
The B team was where it's at as well. We were B team's probably more fun. It was. Yeah. It was more fun. I think uh, we were less focused on being good, and we were focused yeah. on having a good time. Yeah. Which coincidentally, I think led us to be better. In a way, we played a lot. I don't more think there's really. any question. Yeah. If you're having fun, you're probably going to be better for sure. Yeah. So it was it was a good time. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed. I mean, I think there were a lot of people that tried to get a team that that didn't, and I enjoyed giving those people an option to still play and still be part of a team. So yeah. that was really cool. Um, so it's like a club sport, essentially. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 What's the farthest you guys traveled for Ultimate? We maybe traveled three or four hours. Oh, wow. Well, there's a spring break tournament, but that doesn't really... That that was kind of like outside of the circuit of, right. of the club. That's sport. like, you know, drinking with Frisbee on the side. Yeah. But like yeah. a tournament tournament, <clears throat> we went to Towson in Maryland. Okay. That was a... A good a good long drive and then jmu you know but like nothing more than three four hours away yeah uh still a big deal to travel that far yeah yeah no there's it was and they were team building experiences for sure we would get like two motel rooms for 14 people <laughs> and we'd all college yeah we'd yeah. all hide in the car and and the one guy would go check in and then all seven because <laughs> you didn't want to pay for all 14 yep. for sure yeah exactly uh, so, so is, that, is that how you, the two of you met yeah frisbee okay. yep nice uh i think freshman right? year yeah. Yeah, yeah we also had a mutual friend william spangler oh that's um, right yeah yeah so there's one other guy who played frisbee in tennis and since my freshman year of college before i hurt my shoulder he was like jim you got to come out and play frisbee i think you'd really like it and I was like, yeah, no, no, tennis is my thing. Yeah, like, you know, maybe, maybe next year, maybe next week. And just never ended up coming. And then after he graduated, I hurt my shoulder and then met some friends who played pickup. And then they happened to be on, the, like, the B team. So I kind of just showed up to a B team practice one day and really liked it. Yeah. It's hooked. That Boom. was all she wrote. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, such a fun sport. And I, I really think it matches who you are. Oh, yeah. yeah. In, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So... Yeah, so you graduated in 2015, mm-hmm. right, from undergrad, and you yeah. had studied uh, pre-med. That was your undergrad. Yeah. Okay, and yeah, so yeah. you kind of, I'm guessing that you left school with some sort of idea of, of being a doctor someday? Yeah, so my goal was definitely, actually, junior year, I thought I did not want to be a doctor. So, you know, my, like we talked about, my dad is a doctor, and I, for a long time, wanted to be a doctor, too. Like, when I was a kid, I would dress up as a doctor for Halloween and stuff. <laughs> So I just saw this picture. I was staying with my dad uh, for a rotation this month, and he had like a little picture of me in my little doctor suit, and it melted my heart. Oh wow! I know, uh, I know. Um, but I kind of you know went through the college rebellion of like I'm done with this. I need to like find my own way. So I, that's kind of another reason why I stopped playing tennis. And then also it's like I don't want to be a doctor. I think I'm just doing this because it's what my dad did, and it's what I'd like thought I should do rather than wanted to do. Um, and I really like science. I think I kind of like have like that engineering mindset. Uh, so I explored some of those options. Maybe thought about doing some research and some computer coding, but I just missed talking to people. So yeah. I, uh, at the end of that, it was like, man, this was really cool. My boss was awesome. He brought his uh, he brought his chocolate lab into work and called him the lab lab. And it was like it was the ideal situation. Um, but even even then, I was still like I felt like I was missing something. Um, so then I kind of like started pursuing medicine. So I graduated. And then worked for a year as a scribe in the emergency room, and then got into med school. And then so let's talk about that scribing for a year. Oh yeah, because I, yeah. I knew you during that time, and and your hours were not fun. 
No, I was working like 60 hours a week on a rotating shift schedule. And and what, what times a day? So the shifts um, were 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. There's like a 3 p.m. to 3 a.m. and then a 7 a.m. either to 3 p.m. or um, 7 p.m. So all those except one sound to- terrible. Like I would want to. <laughs> yeah, seven to three now sounds nice. Yeah, um, yeah, seven to three the only one. But yeah. what was it like doing those overnight so, shifts? I uh, I don't want to say I have like a sleep disorder, but I just have a really hard time switch- switching my sleep schedule around a little bit. Everybody does. Every, yeah, everybody, everybody does, does. But I would like not sleep for like a day and a half, and then I would sleep for like eighteen hours or twenty hours, and then. <sighs> It my college like, roommate did that. Really? Yeah, it was crazy. He would sleep yeah. for 24 hours, and then he'd be awake for like 30. I'm That's like, wild. I'm like, what are you doing, man? Dang. Some people must be on different time scales. Yeah. 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 Well, this this definitely did it to me. So then I just like went full night mode. You know, I just was like, okay, I can't, I can't handle this anymore. Let me just work nights um, rather than working half nights and half days. Which hospital? It's a Mary Immaculate Hospital in Newport News. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's like... Um, it was a level three trauma center, so they saw strokes and heart attacks, um, but no like serious car accidents or like gunshot wounds or anything like super crazy or like dire, other than like heart attacks and strokes. Right. So your circadian rhythm was totally flipped. Was, yeah, so I went full night mode, uh, which was pretty wild. So I was working twelve hour shifts like four days a week um, on nights, which was good and bad. I really liked the night environment because everybody else that worked nights was pretty close knit. It was a smaller crew. Um, you had one doctor and like four or five nurses and then there, you know, maybe like 10 nurses that were in the nursing pool. So everybody got to know everybody really well. Um, and some nights were busy. Like you'd see people almost like nonstop for all 12 hours. And then some nights, you know, there were times where we like discharged every patient from the hospital and we would just like hang out, you know, we played mm-hmm. cards on the patient beds or, you know, like played pranks. There's a guy who is, uh, uh, he was an EMT and been a medic and was, I think had some like army background too. So he, he definitely liked his pranks and we had a good little, good little back and forth going. He figured out how to occupy his time. Oh, sounds yeah. Like. Yeah. And you had that doctor that, uh, named his cows, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dr. Joe, um, doc, Joe's his first name. Uh, his last name is uh, Musa Patiki. Huh? Yeah. So That's we called him. Wow. Yeah. 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 So he, uh, he was from some country in Africa and I'm blanking on the name. Might have been Zimbabwe. It was Zimbabwe because we. T- yeah, I remember now because we were talking about Zimbabwe, like governments and stuff. Okay. Um. So he's just like a just a kind soul, you know. He could, he was the type of guy that could like insult you to your face and say it with this huge gap in his teeth, and then you would laugh, be like, "I know, Doctor Joe, I was being an idiot." You know, because when you come through the ER, you get like you know people. We were right next to CNU's campus, so we got. On Friday nights, the drunk people that had done something not super smart and injured themselves and needed to be stitched up, and Dr. Joe would walk in there and be like, what you doing, man? And just, you know, kind of make fun of this person in a way where it wasn't judgmental. He was just, like, kind of joking around with him yeah, yeah. and telling him that, you know, he basically did something stupid and not to do it again. And, like, with all of his, like, charisma and just, like, pure heart and soul, it just it came out really well. And then, like, they would laugh, and Dr. Joe would laugh, and everybody would just be having a good time, and then they would learn their lesson. Do you stay in touch with Dr. Joe? Uh, no. No. It's been a while. Yeah. I'm not very good at staying in touch with people, though. What about that one time that somebody came in with a venereal? Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if that was PC, but since Dude, you bring it up, let it this loose. is my favorite Dr. Joe story. Um, okay, so... Did, did I hear the word venereal? You, you sure did. All right. So, another thing, if you didn't know Newport News, it is the chlamydia capital of the world. I did not know that. Yeah. Very high incidence of chlamydia. 
So this guy comes in, has chlamydia. Yeah, oh, oh, hold on, hold on. Why is Newport News? Oh, I, I, I don't know why. That's, that's, just, okay. there, there's an army base there, right? <laughs> <laughs> What's the correlation? I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to talk shit. Uh, there's uh, probably a few of them down there, actually. Yeah, Navy yeah. more so. Fort Eustis is nearby. Too. Yeah, it's not yeah. far. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Sorry. Anyway. Oh yeah. Um, so anyway, this guy comes in. It's got you know he has chlamydia, like no question about it. The first thing Dr. Joe says, you know, he like knocks on the door or whatever, comes in and says, you've been sticking it where it don't belong. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like. There's I, no filter. He no. just goes straight there. Yeah, no, he's just like, it's Dr. Joe. So he can say that. But if I tried to say that, I would get, I don't know what would happen, but it wouldn't be good. <laughs> right. For anybody else, probably. Yeah. But it, like, it's partly the accent. It really is partly that, like, huge gap smile that he has. Like, he'll say that and then smile. And then he'll, like, walk over next to the patient and then, like, put his arm around him. You know, it just, it, it was great. And this guy started, just cracked up. It was like, yeah, I guess I have. <laughs> Super charismatic guy. Yeah. Did you meet him? No. Just no stories. I'm just pretending like I know him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, dude, so you were scribing. Yeah, um, scribing. What does scribing mean? So basically, Good I question. just follow around the doctor, and I have a little laptop, and I type up kind of why the patient is in the hospital. And then after we leave the room, the doctor will like dictate the patient exam, and I'll write that into uh, the computer. Gotcha. Not a very glamorous job. But you probably but learned a lot. I did. Yeah. I did learn a lot. A lot of exposure. Yeah. And so you, um, you wanted to kind of figure out for yourself whether you wanted to be a doctor rather than... Rather than um, like do it because your dad did it. Yeah. Uh, so this this year of scribing slash, I think you took two years off, right? Yeah. Before yeah. deciding med school. Um, so did you come to that? You know, so how how did I know that it was right for me? Yeah, yeah. So the the answer is it just felt right. Like it every, even though I was working nights and even though they were long hours, it was just it was kind of fun. Like it was really cool being able to talk to people about their health. And the ER setting, I think, is not necessarily for me as fun as it was, like working with coworkers in that like fast-paced environment. It's, um, it's all it's almost like playing frisbee a little bit, where you know stuff is going on in a bunch of different places, and you just always have to be not only communicating what you're doing with other people, but also just like you're when you're on the sidelines, um, like looking out for other people that might need some help and don't have the time to say like, hey, or the perspective to say, hey, I need some help. Right. Um, the actual like patient care is kind of transient. Like, you know, you, somebody comes in, you put some duct tape on them and you either like they're sick enough to stay in the hospital and you send them upstairs or they're not sick enough and you just send them back to their primary care doctor. Uh, so I really want to be a primary care doctor. Um, and I, after my year of scribing, I did a year of research in family medicine and really liked that a lot. I think the whole like aspect of, preventive medicine is is really awesome it's just like you get to help somebody be the best version of themselves yeah um, it sounds like you're really interested in having a sustained relationship with yeah. the people you care for yeah definitely definitely it's like it's awesome i can't believe i could get paid to do it you know you just basically give life advice you help somebody interpret all the crazy stuff that's going on you know like whether they have like liver disease or like you know god forbid they get cancer you know you can talk them through that process it's you can help connect them with like a really good cancer doctor that can do the treatments. But at the end of the day, after their treatment is done, they'll come back to you and like the primary care doctor is the one that helps process like what their goals are. They can do end of life decisions and then like, okay, so this is where I'm at now. Cancer's treated, but now I have this like 
debilitating injury. How do I make sense of this and um, kind of live with it? And that that aspect of primary care is what really motivates me. So I think it wasn't so much being in the ER, but uh, as much as like the next year mm-hmm. where I saw like what family medicine was, where I knew I liked it. And then you applied to med school. Then I applied to med school. Got into VCU. Got into VCU. Yeah, yeah. And as far as, uh, you know, when you go to med school, you you can choose to go down like a track or a specialty, right? And uh, my understanding is that primary care is not like the most money-making and like glamorous of the the tracks to go down. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the specialties that make um, like just a whole lot of money are the ones that do procedures just because you can get reimbursed a lot more for... Uh, basically just your time and it's easier to kind of document and make money from you know like cutting out like a melanoma from somebody versus like telling them hey you should put on skin cancer so you put on uh, sunscreen so you don't get skin cancer Um, but then that brings back that transience you're talking about where you're just there's an assembly line of patients that you're just making money off of yeah Uh, yeah and there's there's like obviously a little like some nuance there too where like you know, you can be a surgeon in a small community. Like I, I worked with a surgeon um, in Front Royal for two weeks, and he knew he kept a log of every patient that he's ever seen. He was a combo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was a combo. Yeah, can you describe like what is Front Royal like? So Front Royal, um, let's see. It's, it, in, it's in the foothills. It's right? in it's the foothills. It's a rural yeah. place. Yeah, yeah, it's very rural. So it's got mountains on all sides. It's a place where like there's three roads that uh, kind of go through the center of like the town basically and each one of them is 25 miles an hour Um, wow most people don't actually live in like front royal they live like often uh, like a holler like a small little mountain road like within like a 20 minute drive and the foothills you're talking of of, like the Appalachian of the blue ridge right at the northern part of shenandoah national park okay yeah. And you were there you were there on a rotation. Yeah. Yeah, I was um, there uh for 2 weeks of my surgery rotation. And so rotations are something that you do in your third year of medical school? Yeah. So and, the the first 2 years of medical school are just like college where you have uh basically like just class. You know, and you take a class on the liver and you do that for like a month. And then you take a class on the kidneys and you do that for a month. And the heart that's a, there's a lot to learn about the heart. So that one was 2 months. Yeah. Um but then after your first 2 years, you do different rotations. So your third year, you spend rotating from like, you know, I did two months of surgery. Then I did two more months of internal medicine. I did a month of family medicine, a month of psychiatry, a uh, month of neurology, you kind of OB-GYN and pediatrics. You, you get to see a little bit of everything. Um, and the job of the med, you're like, that's when you really feel like a medical student as opposed to just a student because you're in the hospital talking with real people. You know, you're usually there first because you go and like take the patient's vital signs in the morning and then you kind of gather what like the events that happened overnight and then you present basically what the like what happened overnight and what we're doing today to the residents. So and these are real life patients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so in those first two years I, there you'd have like these case interviews or, or yes. there'd be uh, these standardized patients. And what, what are those? Those uh, so basically they it's important to be able to talk to people obviously as a doctor because you're going to be waking somebody up at 5 a.m and to get you ready for that uh the medical school hires actors to pretend to be patients so yes we uh know somebody who has a daughter who does that oh really uh, yeah what we he said don't say any names because <laughs> we're not allowed to they, connect he, you oh yeah because then he didn't want uh, I, a recusal to happen yeah i i think at this point i don't have any more left 
I think okay. I'm, I think I'm done with the standard animations. So you may have interacted with, with this uh, with this person. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's people of all ages. There's some a lot of like uh, older retired people do it, and then yeah, Richmond's like a pretty big acting city, like a, with a good art yep. scene. So it, mostly out of VCU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they bring in kids that are like that that are actors by trade. Yeah, and they want to make a little money on the side. Yeah, basically. Okay. Basically. So this these two years of like academic rigor. Um, yeah. Did you feel like, were you ever like, this is uh, annoying. I just want to like get to the. Oh, very know, much so. I want to be like hanging out with people and solving problems. I don't want to be like uh, learning about ventricles and. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to stay motivated, it's, especially since I had taken two years off from college. Yeah, I really got a lot of value out of contributing to like the workplace. You know, I like had a job as a scribe where you know my role. Even if it wasn't glamorous, it was important and helped out people. And then as a, like a research assistant, you know, I was helping organize studies and, you know, talking with bosses and setting up meetings and, you know, contributing my own ideas too. And, and to go from that um, to just kind of being a student where I just, you're kind of treated like a student, you know, you're like told to be here at this time, at this place. And there's not much flexibility other than like how you choose to learn the material, which there's only, you know, but so many ways to do that. Um, I, I, I didn't get a lot of like, value or personal like growth from that. Sounds mm. pretty lonely. Too. It was very lonely. Yeah. It was very lonely because classes recorded. Um, so you could, it was easier to watch the lectures on like double speed. Oh, wow. And you had to spend like half as much time in class. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes at night I still think I hear the faint like, because <laughs> I could hear Jim walking around the apartment playing like it was like an eerily quick talking professor just talking about some random mental stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. And and you had this big this big huge exam that everybody that goes through med school has to take. Yeah. Called so step one. Step one. Step and, one. What a great name for a terrible test. <laughs> And so it's in uh, February, probably the most depressing. Or no, is it in March? Uh, you could take it. I took it in March. Okay, uh, another fairly depressing uh, yeah. month. Well, yeah. basically, what what I think happened, what happened with Jim is that you know, basically, the time between Christmas and March, he had locked himself in his room, just crushing it. I oh, every day. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was a grind. And I remember it was. It was like, have you seen Star Wars? The original or like every yeah the original yeah I've seen Star Wars so I, I was alive when it came out so when Han Solo <laughs> comes out of the um you know being frozen and he kind of like can't move and he's trying to like get his body back that's what Jim was like socially oh I felt super weird you know like so, just like <laughs> <laughs> I like I think he, I he was like ten percent of a normal social person Is yeah that essentially what you're saying uh, he was trying to get the muscles back and like he, he I had like forgotten how to communicate. Uh, like and my my wife would say the same thing. I would come home and she was like, "How was your day?" And I'd be like, "Oh, you know, it was pretty good." And then I would go into study mode and be like, "Yes, I learned this and this fact and this fact and this fact." And I'm progressing well on this. I still need to learn. A and she's like, "Jim, I like turn just, it off." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's on multiple choice. And this is like this crazy huge test. Yeah. And yeah. How it. long does the test take? The test is eight hours long. It's it's long. It's eight one hour blocks. There's Forty questions per block. And that's a Virginia requirement. Or is that a, a national requirement? National. Yeah. I think, I'm sure like internationally there's other tests too. Yeah. I don't know much about it. But yeah, so it's it's not fun. And the most annoying thing is, you know, I studied for like three months for this thing. And I get 300 questions to show what I know. And you can't have like a representative test 
with 300 questions when you're studying like the whole human body. Right. You know, you could, you could ask 300 questions about like the knee or, and the foot and the ankle and like sports injuries and still not even cover everything. So it was, it was frustrating because some of the stuff that I knew really well, like didn't show up on the test. And then, you know, there's other stuff that I was like, man, I've never even heard of this before. Yeah. And, you know, that's just part of the game. Was it all multiple choice? Yeah. Yeah. All multiple choice. But they're sneaky multiple choice. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They are. They are. Like C looks like the obvious answer, but it's not. Kind yeah. Of thing. Yeah. 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 It's a good test for overthinking things. So, and the, so you I, have to know a lot and you have to be a good test taker. Yeah. Yeah, and just focus for... And it's not high level. It's not 300 high level questions. Each one of them is like, the molecule this is mostly associated with which of these viruses. It's very, very specific. Yeah. And they're like usually done in like, um, they call them vignettes, like patient stories. So it'd be like, you know, Miss Jones is a 53 year old African American female who's had a cough for three months and it's been getting worse with time. She has some weird nodules on her shin and she's been constipated recently. Uh, if you did a chest x-ray, what do you think it would show? Wow. And it's just like, and I don't know. <laughs> Why don't we do it and look at I mean, it and find it, out? It might be B. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's just like, it's, they're like trying to get you to think of some ideas. And then, you know, the, the answer is one of the questions below, or like one of the options below. And you know that to be true. Like logically, the answer is down there, and you just have to figure out how to pick the right one. Right. So it's a it's a little bit of mind game too. And you're a good test taker. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you and and in college, I remember this. You were like, like academics was one of your things. Like you, yeah, until you I started playing that. frisbee. Well, as you say, isn't that the main point of college, the academic part? Well, no, but I'm saying like I think you always took a lot of pride in in how academically strong you were. Yeah. Is that well, fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, I did. And you were kill. You like got. Like what was? Can I ask? You know what was your GPA in college? It was, like a, it was pretty high. Was like a, Were you in summa cum laude? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's high, right? Yeah. I got, yeah. I got so a couple high. of A minuses and a B. Yeah. Okay. And we'll leave uh, the rest yeah. to interpretation. Yeah. So basically, and, and William and Mary is a very competitive school. I probably got a couple of A's. You know. So when you went when you got to VCU, you're entering like this uh, this new league where I think a lot of people are used to being in a similar oh, boat yeah. where yeah. they're all like, they're all used to figuring out how to get the A and they get the A. And if they don't get the A, then they uh, get this, pissed. This definitely messed with me. Cause I like definitely my whole life had always been, you know, like top of the class and yeah, I worked really hard to be there, but um, yeah, I felt like you know, getting every question right. Was a possibility. And then you get to medical school and it's just really humbling because everybody else is ultra smart too. You're no longer like, you know, it's it's a you're a big fish, but the you're now in the ocean and not you know, not a small pond. Mm-hmm. So it's it it took me a little while to kind of adjust my oh, thank you, um, adjust my identity a little bit and kind of figure out what like what my worth came from, if not from you know just like knowing everything. Because you were able to sustain that success. Like I would say, when you say you know little pond to big ocean, I would say that William and Mary is like a you know an ocean yeah but it's like yeah. a condensed hyper a lot of like hard-working smart people are, are at that school and a lot of people have that same you know they do great in, in high school they're the top of the class they kick ass and then they go to a college where everybody else is just like them yeah and what you did is you went one more level up you yeah. know went from William Mary to medical school which is like you know crank it up one more exponent and you had to deal with even more people like that yeah and you kind of like 
yeah i I don't want to say that i took it for granted like being being smart because i did i did work hard but it's also like you know i just didn't realize that 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 it like might not be a possibility to just be at the top of the class you know that there was like another place where i could be so then when i was like you know like i'm a very proud to be an average medical student i work really hard and i'm (laughs) very proud to like you know i think there are some things i do really well like talking to people and and getting helping somebody be comfortable to like share something they're embarrassed about that's that's something i'd say is like one of my strongest skills but like test taking wise and like knowing all these like random facts i'm very proud to say i'm an average medical student you know it takes a lot of work so it 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 took me a little while that was actually one of my big anxieties going into step one it almost had like this like uh, like a little bit of test taking anxiety. Like I felt like a fraud, you know, if I'm not the best, like just like Ricky Bobby, Talladega Nights, <laughs> you ain't first or last. <laughs> you know, that, like I, I kind of felt like that. It was like, man, what, a, like Jim Pecksock not having, getting a hundred, not like being the best. Yeah. You know, they're like, going to publish I'm, it in I'm the nothing. news. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But like, no, first of all, nobody cared. And second of all, I realized that I didn't care either and that there were other more. Well, I'll things. tell you as I've, obviously never been to medical school, but as a patient or a future patient, I want to know that my doctor strived to be the best it could possibly be. Yeah. And if that means average amongst the top 1%, yeah, great. Let's go doc. What do we need to do? Yeah. Yeah. I think, so I think there's a difference between being really strong, like book smart wise as a doctor. And then like really how you keep patients safe is recognizing what you know and what you don't know, especially as a primary care doctor. Cause they're just going to, you know, Everybody that has a really rare disease eventually, or at some point, was a healthy person that was coming into their doctor who's like, "Yeah, I got some headaches." Like, I don't, I don't know. And you know, you start like, "Oh, are you drinking caffeine? Are you having like caffeine withdrawal headaches? Are you not getting enough sleep? Are you stressed? You work up like the normal stuff. You can't just order a brain MRI on everybody because you know you can't. That's not like financially worthwhile or even like responsible too. Because then, you know, part part of being a doctor is reassuring people and finding the most efficient solution. Um, but at some point you get to a point where you don't know like what's going on and something, something different is happening. And I think to be a good doctor, you have to recognize when something is different, when something different is happening. Not so much as like, you know, Oh, you know, this is like, uh, somebody has a brain tumor and it's this and this, you know, mutation in this gene of this specific cell lineage. And, um, I think it's really important that there are people that do know that. Don't get me wrong, because that is like how research happens and that's how treatment happens and that's how things move forward. Um, but to like put your trust in somebody, I, I don't think that I don't think that they have to know all of those like small details as much as like um, they just have to know when something is like normal and can be worked up like safely in the office, like with like kind of just like low key, low energy treatment solutions and when something is like more serious and needs referral. And it requires humility. It on does. The doctor's part. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually the feedback I got from uh, Dr. Markovic. Shout out if you're listening. Um, it was like, uh, stay humble. Like never, never lose your humility. You know, it's good advice. Yeah. It's really good advice for almost any occupation, actually, yeah. but especially a doctor's. Yeah. Job. yeah. Yeah. And we're in like, I feel like knowledge is readily available and at, at everyone's fingertips. And so it's almost like instead of having to have a lot of recall and a lot of knowledge, you need to have good judgment about what knowledge to apply. Very much so. Yeah. 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 That's exactly doctor. right. That's exactly right. Because, yeah. I mean, if I have Google and I can WebMD stuff, like you were telling me that there's like a doctor 
Wikipedia. A, yeah, it's called up. It's called up to date. It's amazing. It's like it has every answer like ever. So all the basically they if pay, you ask the right question. If you ask the right question, but even even if you don't, like you could just Google on up to date or search on up to date for like a random disease, like um, like a specific subtype of lymphoma, like mantle cell lymphoma, and it could give you like everything that you need to know, just like a Wikipedia article could about. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Nice. Because I'm looking at yeah, it. Nice. Yeah, I can be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the third it's time like, he's come back. You're speaking Paul's It's like language. right in front of my face. But yeah, it's like, oh, Warren Moon. He was kind of a big deal back in the day. And, you know, Jameis Winston, he's their quarterback now. Their thoughts about that. Yeah. And Wikipedia would probably summarize a little bit of the controversies and like the highs and lows and then the history and the franchise. So you could do that with like a disease where they like give you the most up-to-date information. And just like Daniel was saying, it's like you can – uh, you don't have to have that in your head anymore. You have to have a little bit of it to know that it's a thing and know what to look for. But as far as like all the all the details, and especially just... as a primary care physician, because you're by you're by by nature you're a generalist. Where yeah. like people it's about come breadth. in, it's about extreme breadth. Right? Yeah, you don't know what's coming in the door the next day. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things they made you do uh, also. Um, that I think you found very interesting because you talked to me a lot about it was uh, the cat- cadaver uh, lab. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that was over a, a series of like months or something. Yeah. So we spent two months uh, like working with cadavers and basically just doing like dissections. Part was... of the two years of academic study? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 For anatomy. That was wild. It was absolutely what, unreal. Was it weird and was it negatively weird or was it just kind of neutrally weird? It was like a roller coaster of type of weird. <laughs> you know, it started out being like, oh, this is just weird, weird. You didn't know what to think. And then, you know, like we had to do, we we looked at the muscles and nerves of the entire body, like from head to toe, like even like, you know, the brain and stuff too. So we kind of like looked at different layers of the facial muscles and had to use the bone saws and had to examine the eye and like all this other stuff. And it's like, a, it's a person. So it just felt super weird. These were all people that... For some for some or another reason, had agreed to donate their body to science when they died, and yeah, yeah, they they became cadavers for medical students to study. Yeah, yeah. So it like started out being weird that we knew a little bit about their background. So the the person that my team was working with um, was a coal miner from West Virginia, and that's all we knew about him. But just that he was a coal miner from West Virginia, which was interesting because when we were examining his lungs, they were like black. Yeah, you know, like yeah. Um, and then he had a lot of, like, you could tell he was a manual laborer and had like a lot of really hard life experiences just based on some of like the arthritic changes in his back. Um, you can almost like picture him stooping, um, carrying heavy things. And, um, so it started out like knowing a little bit of that information was almost like it was too real at first. Like I just wanted it almost like in surgery where they drape everything except what they're operating on. It's important for like ster- like keeping things sterile but also just like for the mindset of the surgeon so they're not like looking at a person they can just take their mind completely out of it um and i was almost like i wanted that experience for anatomy just so i could like you know get over like anything that i was thinking about like any feelings i was having and just like focus on you know like learning as much as i could but then as i like you know went through anatomy and was wor- working with this person that donated his body like for me to learn which is just an unbelievable gift. I, I wanted to know more. Like we didn't know his name. So we like felt weird to just not give, give him a name. So we made up a name for him, but it would have been nice to know his real name. So that way 
you know, we, we could have just known who he was and like a little bit more about him. And I think it, it was a weird transition where it felt weird to know a little bit of detail. And then it felt like way more creepy to not, and like kind of like, you know, skin crawly to not know like anything about this guy, like to know a little bit, but not enough. Hmm. Was was that the only cadaver you had the entire two months? So that was the only one we had. We were split up in teams of six. Another thing that made the whole experience crazy was that you know VCU is a, one of the bigger medical schools. There are 200 students. So there were 30 or 40 cadavers in the cadaver lab. One big lab. One big lab. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, there were 30 on one side and then 10 on like the smaller wing. So I've never been uh, near a cadaver, never been in, in the presence of one. Blood's not flowing anymore. Mm-hmm. So if this is maybe a little too graphic, but if you dig into a cadaver or cut into a cadaver, right? dig, dig is probably a weird yeah. word for this. <laughs> no, no, no. Cut into a cadaver. This is a no judgment zone. Yeah, what, what, like, which, what, yeah let's say you're cutting away. into the bicep. What, yeah. what are you discovering? Is it just tendons and so muscle? To and, also be kind of gross, it depends on how early into the rotation you are. Like at first you can see all the tendons and they're like, it's, it almost looks like cellophane. They're actually kind of pretty. Or like um, ribbon candy mm. at Christmas time. The like skin's sunken a little bit. Skin's sunken. Skin's dried. Skin is weird. It's yeah. like kind of leathery. It doesn't feel like skin. Uh, but the muscles, you can all like, they feel like muscles or tendons. Mm. You know? Wow. Um, but things start to dry out as like the month goes on. So right. it gets a little weirder. A little freaky. And there's uh, still, what's freaky. that? Yeah. What's yeah. the thing that uh, preserves... Formaldehyde. So there's still that going on, but they oh, have yeah. vents that kind of... Kind of suck the... It's like a negative... It's almost like an air hockey table where it's blowing air out of these tiny little holes. It's the reverse of that. So it's got air and it's sucking it out of these tiny little holes. So huh. in theory, all the like the gases from the preservatives are being like sucked out and then vented outside. Okay. But Just, progressively over time, they dry out. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the venting. And mm. um, it it's almost like beef jerky. It's... It's like not a, it, it gets hard to like identify structures and things like that. So it lasts about a month. Last, yeah, about a month. Yeah. About a month. Wow. Which is, it's weird that I know that too. It's like, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. glad you do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Me too. Um, me too. Yeah. You didn't see that coming when you were 18, probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not. So, but, yeah, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, we, we raced a step one. I didn't realize it had a name. I knew there was a test at the end of, uh, or toward the end of medical school. The MCAT, was that intimidating? Looking back, it probably wasn't as intimidating as step one, but talk, talk to us about MCAT. MCAT, so it was and it wasn't. I had, like, studied really, really hard for it. So I knew I, 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 knew I was going to do pretty well since I had taken, like, you know, like 10 practice ones. Oh, uh, okay. Kind of, like... Almost like to the T, I, I got the exact same score as my last practice test, you know? So then you kind of like can follow the progression and there are more resources where you could just buy this, like this book that was everything you needed to know for the test. And they had like built in practice questions and everything else. And you didn't have that for step one. You did, but just there was so, it was so big that like, whereas like you could just read this book and it was like, you know, here are the different parts of a cell. It was like, you know, just like the the volume of material was a lot broader for like medicine and step one than it was for the MCAT. The the MCAT was more like a like critical thinking test. It wasn't so much knowledge based. Whereas step mm. one was a lot more oh, knowledge based and less like you know, part of the MCAT was like physics section. So you just as long as you know the equations and stay calm and have like practiced a little bit of everything, then you can kinda of, you know, you can work it you work your way through it. They'll throw you some curveballs, but 
um, like everything makes sense. But the the MCAT or the step one, it was like very knowledge based. Yeah. So and, if we and almost too much information to retain. Sounds like yeah, yeah. It's kind of a running joke because um, there's a time right after you take step one where you start on rotations. Um, so I did that, and I was starting on internal medicine, which is one of the harder rotations, just because it's it's kind of like you need to know everything and you need to know it to a higher detail. So that's the one when you're like admitted to the hospital, there's an internal medicine doctor who is basically managing your disease. So he's figuring out like, why are you coughing up blood? It's definitely something serious going on. You have a very real disease that's more complicated than diabetes. And it could be like any number of things. And that's what I started with. And uh, a lot of the, we actually ended up diagnosing somebody with mantle cell lymphoma. And I was like, oh, you know, it's this and this translate. I knew all those like, almost like anecdotal facts that everybody else just chose to like look up in a book because they weren't cancer doctors. You know, they could just be like, I don't need to know that it's like a translocation between like chromosome 13 and 14 or whatever it is. And at this point I've forgotten now too. Like I don't even, I think it's 11 and 14, but, but you've already laid down. I feel like you've laid down those grooves in your memory. Yeah. So if you read that content again, you'd be like, Oh yeah, dude. Chromosome 13, whatever. Yeah. Chromosome cells. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Powerhouse um, the cell. Yeah. My God. Um, but yeah. So there's a there's a time when like the medical students walking around like know more. almost more of like <laughs> the stupid facts. They have no idea what's going on or like whether the person is doing well or sick or not sick. But they're like, oh, I could probably tell more facts about this disease than like somebody who's not a cancer doctor mm, right, right, at right. that point. But then you get into what you're talking about, where you have the book smarts, which is great, but then you have you need to be rounded out people smart, experienced, you got to know like what it's like to be a doctor. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is what third year is about. And I like it a lot more because you still have the facts, like you still have to know it, but it's a lot of like, you call it like clinical reasoning. So is there going to be, you're in your third year. Yeah. It is now March 6th. And are you going to be graduating from MCV this spring? One more year. One more year. Another fourth year. Victory lap. Wow. Yeah. Okay. What do they make you do in your fourth year? So the I say victory lap half jokingly, half seriously. So the first five months of fourth year are pretty intense. They call it like your acting internship year, where you basically rotate on the different teams and then you try to contribute like an intern. I think you have fewer patients, so instead of like you know following five or six patients and like doing everything, yeah, you know, like entering orders, interpreting X-rays and stuff, you have like two or three. Um, and you enter orders, but you're, you're actually like the one, like the point person for that patient. Um, and they, they give you some experience with that before you go to like uh, residency. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the first taste so five of, months. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, there's a lot of like, you know, you interview and then your interviews are in all your testing is in and there's nothing else really left as far as like academics. So you, there's a chance to take some really interesting rotations where you can either like, learn some cool skills. Like I might do a sports medicine month where I just do a lot of joint exams because I, I think that's cool. Or um, forensic pathology, that was an option. So I've signed Ooh. up for that right now, which is going to be CSI. Fast. I know. I'm going to feel like I'm in a TV show. It's so going to be real. like all the ultraviolet, you know, like, what is it yeah. called? Ectoplasm or... Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. What's the electric... Uh, uh, elect- uh, pla- uh, uh, plasmidosis. Plasmapheresis. Uh, Electrophoresis. Electrophoresis. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's it, yeah. dude. Why do you know that? We had to do it in high school bio. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, That's yeah. Legit. It's when they um, you use like magnets or something to make 
the different DNA strands. I've go. seen it on TV. Yeah, I, dude. I know nothing about it. It's pretty legit. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Is it magnets? It's electricity, but it's working because one side has a negative charge and one side has a positive. So it's wow. basically magnets. Okay. See how nice he is. <laughs> Even if I'm wrong, he's like, "Here, let me try to find he a found, way." He to, found a way to make it happen. To make it right. Yeah. yeah. But the, the core idea really was. Really, I mean, it's it's just magnets, man. Electromagnets. So you had to go through like a series of uh, like gates. You know, you, it, it's taken a lot of work to get to where you are now. Like, yeah. And by by gates, I mean like, graduate high school. You do the SAT. You get to college. Uh, college MCAT, and then med school step one. Is there going to be another one before you get to be a doctor, or are you almost done? No, I actually. So I take step two in three days. Yeah. What? Yeah. Is it, is it, <laughs> yeah, is, is it as brutal? <laughs> no. No. So there is two parts. One part is um, it's called the clinical skills exam. So you go and you spend a whole day with those practice patients who are really actors, and they pretend to have a disease, and you have to talk to them and then tell them the diagnosis and then write a note. And it's like, it's a little frustrating because it, it's really expensive and it's pass fail. And most people pass, and it's a ve- it's very different than what actual medicine is like. So you kind of have to like learn how to take the exam just so that you can pass it and then never use it. Oh, which is frustrating. I hate but, that. Yeah, but I you know like I think at this point you know I I don't have to study too hard for it since mm-hmm. I know all of the, all of the things. I just need to make sure I do it the right way and have the timing down. Right. What, what happens if you fail? Not saying that you you would. Then you know it's like a sixteen hundred dollar test, so I'd just have to take it again. Ah, uh, gotcha. Which would not be fun. And then like if you fail it twice, you can fail it three times. But if you fail it three times, then you're like, that's it. Whoa. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, at least with the sixteen hundred dollars, you're supporting a young aspiring actor. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's what I tell myself whenever I get parking tickets. I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, you know, at least I'm funding the new bike lanes in Richmond with this. <laughs> Dude, Jim, you have an interesting history with parking tickets. I, you know, you know, Daniel, I sure do. <laughs> <laughs> you so, you, you how, ignore signs. How, how much money have you spent on parking tickets? Zero. Zero dollars in your life. Really? Yeah, I mean, I, I live in a rural county, okay. and uh, I've lived here most of my life, actually. You never Impressive. lived in the city? Not even when you were young? No. Huh. I lived in the burbs uh, right after college. Okay. I was surrounded by middle-aged people. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, parking in the city is just cutthroat. I'll tell you what, those, those street cleaners are out to get you. <laughs> they put those signs out? They put the signs out, <laughs> but I bike to school, so I wouldn't see it. And it, Well, really, I say this is, most of the parking tickets I had were... Because I didn't, I wanted, I didn't want to pay for a parking pass because there was free parking three blocks away. But inevitably, three blocks is a lot farther than what you think it is when you're carrying like you know a full load of groceries. And then I would forget to move my car, and it's like every year Daniel, Daniel like literally printed out my park, like the stuff I would need to go get my parking pass for thirty dollars, and I'd be like, yeah, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, and I'll just you know, park there for now. And then, <laughs> So y'all moved to Richmond at the same time. We did, yeah, yeah. So we, yeah, we did. We, yeah, that was our plan. I still remember what I asked you. It was on blowout of your senior year. Yeah, and like, do you want to live together? It's like, and I had finally gotten a job at that point. Yeah, at a large bank in Richmond that no one will find out the name of. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> Paul also worked there, by the way. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, yeah. We didn't meet each other there. But yeah, we moved. Um, moved in. Uh, in the in the summer of 2016, good old chisel cabin, and it was it was the chisel cabin. That what was that name. Was it where chiseling already, happened? Do you know what chiseling is, Paul? I know exactly what chiseling is. 
Why was it named what? Chisel? I, what is chiseling? Chiseling of wood? No, or is that no, no, <laughs> no, it's like... So for, it came from how you chisel your body into this perfect... Um, sure. You, you mean know, what I'm looking at right now? Yeah, the Adonis. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay. <clears throat> like, this is, this is what peak performance looks like. So... <laughs> So the chisel, uh, like, we just started using the word chisel for anything and everything. Like, if you're going to the grocery store, you're going to go chisel the grocery store. Yeah. you gonna, ch- Chiseling is, is like a, it's a noble, it's a noble woodworking act. It's, it's, it's hard just, work. You gotta, you take this little metal thing with a sharp end and you f- shave away bits of the wood until it is the exact shape that you want it to be. And it hurts your fingers. It's a metal sharp and yep. it's yeah. hard to hold on to. That's the chiseling no, I was talking about. You slip and you cut yourself. It's it's not easy to but chisel. You're, but you're talking well, about figure, figurative chiseling. Exactly. Yeah. It, it became synonymous with like striving. If you're yeah. if you're going out to strive, if you're getting those groceries or like doing that laundry, do the best grocery getting you can possibly do. Or, yeah, or like your med school studying. Uh, chiseled dude. all day. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. He would not stop chiseling. Sometimes he would turn. <laughs> So, you, so, so the two of you back then were saying the word chisel or chiseling all the time. Yeah, every day, yeah, every, at least. <laughs> and we'd also say, there was also like fatty. We'd, we would say. Yeah, it would rotate through. We'd have know, these like every rotations. Every three months of, there'd be a new word. Daniel would say something and I'd be like, ooh. <laughs> Just, I, like, like, I like that word. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Daniel, you're, you are a linguist by education. Right? <sighs> by education, I am. Are you yeah. trying to turn this around on me right now, Paul? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Wait, no, no. I wasn't done asking you about... Uh, what was I going to ask you about? Oh, by the way, are you doing okay? Do you do you want the bathroom or? Uh, no, I'm I'm all set. I'm all set. All right, sweet. Water's are you having great. a good time? I'm having a great time. Okay, good. This dude. is fun. That's what. If you have a good time, this is a success. Awesome. Really. Oh yeah. So I'm having a blast. Yeah, I'm glad you made it out. Um, let's talk about the fact that you're a married man. All right. Yeah, that kind yeah. of threw me. Yeah. It threw you, Paul. Got the yeah. rag on the finger. Right. Yeah. I'm, yeah. About yeah. a year, well, a year and a half ago. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's well tell us about her. All right. So um, my wife Kayla, she is part human, part dragon. I think is the best <laughs> way I can describe her in the most loving way possible. She is like intensely herself. She's like way smarter than I am, which is awesome. I love it. And she could just is is just a much better person. She feels things really intensely. She's really kind. Would help anybody at the drop of a hat, almost to her own detriment. Um, but also like, I like to tease people. And sometimes if I cross the line, like you, man, you know it in a second. And I like that too. It's like a, it's a great dynamic. And it's just, it's, I, I didn't know that I could find somebody to like share a life with. And we just started, we've been living together for a year. Um, so it's been, it's been awesome. Yeah, you met in college. Yeah, yeah, going back, we met in college. She, we met doing volunteer training. That's right. So I was a senior, not looking to get into a relationship, and she was a sophomore. Um, and she was looking to buy. She, <laughs> I'm, just I'm, I'm not sure what that means. I don't know either. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> but sound, that sounds awesome. She was glad that you she came was, across she went, her path. Yeah, our, yeah we, we're both glad our paths crossed. So how did your path... Okay, you just told us that. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so how did that... What proceeded from what, there? So we, we had this... Um, like a lot of... Like before we actually started like really dating... Um, 
we just had like a bunch of a couple conversations at like the school cafeteria like nothing romantic or anything we we're just like oh you're like a really cool person let's hang out and get dinner and we just like we talked until they started like putting the chairs upside down on all the tables and like closing it down and we were the last two people there and we had apparently been there for like three hours and like that's when you know man. that's that's what that's i was like oof, that was a great conversation and i want to do this again so we did. That yeah. wasn't that wasn't your first date though, because I know that you weren't there for your first date. Yeah, yeah, that did happen. I asked her out, and then uh, it wasn't like it was basically like a lunch date like this, and I missed it. I like totally forgot about it. And then the worst part is because it was like so it was a lunch date. We both had like an eleven a.m. class and a one p.m. class, so twelve to one was free. It wasn't like I was gonna get lunch at a different place at a different time. I showed up to the only time where we were both free saw her there so we like and then i was like oh my gosh we were supposed to go on a lunch date like right now (laughs) and it was like it was it was crazy she almost didn't go out with me again but she did i can't remember who convinced her to go the lunch was the first date that was i mean that was supposed to be our first date yeah i invited her to like lunch at the cafeteria just like hang out and talk and i just totally forgot about it (laughs) and she uh very much for better, and maybe against her better judgment, decided to go out with me again. Well, you're married now, so yeah, it's a good so call. It worked it out. Yeah. yeah, And yeah. I think that it's it's almost good that that happened in, mm. in the first date because... You got to manage expectations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, set the bar low. Yeah, so I, have, well, I have ADD, which is a beautiful thing, but... And I don't know if... You, I'm getting like a little more excited. Adderall's wearing off. So I'm like, my ideas are starting to like... Spit. Let's go. I'm just getting hyped, you know? It's like, woohoo! Set out of jail. Um, and she figured that out very quickly. And that's like, it's a lot of good, but it's a lot of bad too, as far as like small details and forgetting dates and be like, holy crap, I'm supposed to be on a date right now. Or like, I haven't forgotten to pick her up from the airport, but that that like trope or that idea that you see mm. in movies where like, you know, somebody forgets somebody at an airport and they have to like... That, that could happen. Th- that may be in your future. Yeah, the like. parking yeah. tickets, forgetting to move. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of forgetting and like, oops, oh, crap. You used to have a, uh, a Frisbee yeah. right inside the front door of our house. Yeah. And it was an upside down Frisbee. And um, you'd always put your keys and your phone and your wallet there. Yeah. Routine is amazing. Cause if, and I wasn't that great about it. Because if, if anything, like if I was talking to somebody when I walked in, I would yep. forget to put my stuff there. And then who like it could be anywhere in the house. You know? I remember... <laughs> so we shared a bathroom and i was like in the bathroom once and i saw on this edge of the bathtub um like a smartphone and it was jim's phone and i thought okay uh maybe jim's just trying to like separate himself from his phone you know so he can focus on studying and the next day uh it was still there and then the day after it was still there and i was like wow jim's really trying to do this like per like detox thing and then, like, it's finally he's walking around. He's like, have you seen my phone? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, whenever you, don't, uh, whenever you don't put yourself in that Frisbee. It's like, it could be anywhere. Yeah. It's gone. It's gone. So, it, until, and I'm, you know, I, I'm trying not to, like, rep any products. So I'm not going to name drop. But I bought this wallet. So the wallet was the real thing. Keys you can't get too far without. Phone, you know, I got to call my wife at this point. I, we were, I don't think we were married then. Probably not. I don't yeah. think so. We did live together for a year after you yeah. guys were married. Yeah, but I got a little bit better about that, leaving my phone for four days after getting married. Huh. <laughs> not uh, yeah, you're, yeah, you're a fully grown up. You're like a functional dude. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I bought this wallet 
that uh, connects to my keys. So it has a built-in keychain, which is a game changer. Wow. Because then you can't get, like, yeah. yeah, you could just, you don't really need a wallet every day. And, you know, you do for, like, your school ID. But if you bike, you really just need your key to get in and out of the house. So there would be, like, like, a week or two weeks would go by where I didn't have to buy food. I was, like, set on all my, like, needs. And then that two weeks would run up, and I would be like, dude, where is my wallet? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Oh, yeah. Um, and once, it was just gone. Is that right? You, 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 it, it got stolen once. It was, yeah, it, oh, it was, no, it was in the what? glove compartment of your car. Yeah. And somebody... Somebody... Oh, my window was cracked, and they... This um, is downtown Richmond. The fan. It's the, the fan. fan. Yeah. yeah. But they, yeah, they broke into my car, and... It happens a lot down there. It does. Yeah. Yeah. They forced the window down, got into your glove compartment, and then got your wallet out of your glove compartment. Yeah. Surprisingly didn't steal my 20-year-old stereo, though. So, What were they thinking? (laughs) They left all my CDs in my stereo. (laughs) Or your Colt 45 that you keep in the... (laughs) Just kidding. I could take that two ways. You could. Oh, yeah. No. It might have been both. (laughs) Our days of drinking 40s were... I think we peaked in college. We for peaked sure. in college. Yeah, yeah. there's a, there's a, there were some good drinking games on frisbee. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. But what's, our, what, our, what's your favorite malt liquor back then, Daniel? I know you don't drink anymore. Oh, uh, back then. Um, what? Let's talk about the options. There's Cold Forty Five. There's Hurricane. Steel Reserve. That's what I would go with. Was it called Steel Reserve? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think I usually just got the. Uh, the the cold forty five yeah it's a sham- it's a champagne malt liquor <laughs> wait no there's a Miller um, Miller highlight or, uh, no it's not malt there's liquor. a Miller forty isn't there yeah I don't remember what it's called yeah yeah but uh no it's because of the song dude cold forty five two zigzags no it's because it's Maybe really it's really good so was uh, I, your <laughs> what was so yours you, yeah uh, oh by the way dude you want a beer yeah I'll take a beer all right yeah I'll get one. Crazy Horse is the answer to your question. Crazy Horse. Yeah. Is that I, like, I don't think they make it anymore. It's from the 80s? It, it may have been laced with cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. Just like Coca-Cola used to be. Crazy Horse. Yeah. Crazy Horse. Yeah. Wow. Well, Jim, uh, one of the things we like to do in this podcast is ask uh, a question. I think we've asked everybody, but uh, Dimitri, the, the question is, and you're around this age now, but we, we say 25 years old, go back in the way, way back machine for you. You're yeah. 25. <laughs> you're not married. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and you have two options. All right. Option one, join the U.S. military. doesn't have to be any particular branch. It could be Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, Coast Guard. One of Daniel's uh, favorites, I think. Or, and it's roughly a four-year commitment, typically. So okay. you're doing so just for something four for years. four, four it's not years. It's your life, but it's four years. It's, it's a solid four years, which can seem quick or really uh, a long time, depending or for six months, every week you write comedic material and deliver it in front of strangers. <laughs> Are these supposed to be punishments or things I would enjoy? No, they're, they're they're meant to be things that uh, are probably will cause struggle, but will make you a better person in the end. It's a it's a would you rather? Would I wear? Okay, so would you rather? Um, I I think I would really love being in the military just for a little while i don't like being told what to do or to you, cut my hair you would you would struggle with i first. would struggle with first <laughs> but routine is my best friend it's my best friend and my worst enemy once i once i accept it it's good 
the adventure is like awesome. You know, I'm a definite, definite adrenaline junkie. I love like camping, doing some survival stuff. Um, shooting guns is fun. Sounds like an army guy. I don't know. I don't know about that either. Cause I like sailing, but I wouldn't want to be on a ship. So definitely maybe, I don't know. I don't know if I'm crazy enough to be a Marine. I don't know if I'm hardcore enough, but you might be. I think you are. Yeah. I think you have. I think you have the fire. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'm pretty. I'm, not a I'm pretty competitive. I like yeah. to win. Jim is one of the most competitive people that I know. Yeah, that sounds like a marine to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd probably do that. All right, you you have answered the way every guest we've asked has answered, uh, and we've asked ourselves this question as well. Right. Daniel's the only one. Can that I says, say? I was going to say. Yeah. I bet Daniel would say writing comedy. Yeah, he's actually yeah. started to write some stuff down. Did you know he's he's a bit of a writer? Sorry, this I know this. Am I, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's, he wrote the best song of all time. Wow, what song? Sons of Poseidon. Oh, <laughs> no, that was like a, was, he, was he chiseling? Yeah. Oh, he chiseled. He chiseled Paul's it well. learning, baby. <laughs> no, it was a cheer for our frisbee team. Yeah, oh, nice. But it just uh, nobody used it after I left, so I'm, anyway, I was a little sad. But anyway, we're blowing past the whole yeah, YouTube anyway, stand yes. up. So he's going to stand in front of that flag. And deliver stand up. Paul's got this massive vision. He's so like, this is this is your six months right now. This is probably no, like, not right uh, now, no, right no, now. No, no. no. Paul's We're, like, you're I'm welcome gonna, to come to uh, one of his shows. He's gonna have people <laughs> over and. Or all of his shows. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I don't know if I'm actually gonna do it. It's more of a. It's a. It's a hypothetical. It's a, it's a what if. You. Yeah. Yeah. So. I don't think I would learn. I don't think I would get that much out of doing comedy for six months. I don't think I'd be. I could be good. I could tell funny stories about people, but uh, my sense of humor is a lot of like, you know, a lot of teasing or making fun of myself or making fun of other people. It's kind of like situational. Self-deprecating humor is pretty funny though. Yeah, it is. But it's, it would take, I think I could get better at it in six months, but the stuff that I would learn, I don't think I would, it would feel like busy work. Whereas the army, I feel like I would, I would become a better person through that. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Uh, the routine being your best and worst enemy. Oh yeah, dude. It's like because you know it's it's your savior, but then it's so boring. I know that one of the things that you enjoy the most is to be like, uh, to not know what you're going to be doing that afternoon. What my car just died, and one of my criteria for getting a new car was I had to be able to sleep in it. Just just because I I like if I wanted to go on a road trip, I you know I just want to be able to be like, man, I'm kind of tired. Let me just sleep in my car got the like camp pad right there it's like yeah you know adventures that's not like your dad's cat nap at a a rest stop no it would be like a nighttime yeah no i can't do that i've tried most people can't no it's it's, it's, that that would be if i could spend six months trying to build that skill (laughs) (laughs) maybe harder yeah (laughs) yeah do you ever do you look at the way that your dad operates you know just like uh just a straight up machine yeah and do you ever think like man he must get bored i used to but I don't think he does because he incorporates the true machine knows how to work within its limits and knows how to incorporate what it needs. It's like a self-lubricating machine. Yeah. My dad is. So he incorporates fun and emo- like he's, you know, he's not, a mach- he's emotional, but he operates like with the efficiency of a machine. And he mm. knows that as a human being, he needs fun and he needs outlets and he incorporates those into his re- routine. Fun, fun is a very rational endeavor for him. It sounds like not yeah. not even rational, but he like is intentionally. It's intention. It's gotcha. it comes down to intention. So it's it's he's intentionally fun or he's, intentionally 
unintentional. Sounds like he's always intentional, even when he's being unintentional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think intention is a great way to describe my dad. Yeah, yeah. I so, like that. So you're you've got a little less than a, or a little more than a year left for med school, and then you've got residency for a couple of years. Yeah, for three years. Oh, it's three. It's another three. three. Another so you're, three. You're, but I'll be getting paid, and it's again kind of more like this year where. It's not like I need to come home and study every day of my life. It's like, you know, I go to work. Hours are kind of long, but it's, you know, I'm contributing not only to my patients, but also like the team dynamics. And there's like, a, I don't know, it, it feels more like real life, like a, like adulting. Thing. So it's, all, it's a wonderful transition into becoming a, yeah. a full-time I get family medic guy. I get to pretend to be a doctor and have somebody that's like extremely knowledgeable right behind me saying, you know, you're doing this good or you're doing this not good. You need to work on this. And then... At the end of three years, presumably, I'll be more than capable of handling anything that comes my way. And where's residency going to be for you? So, fun transition. Wow. Quite, quite I, a no, dramatic no, no. pause. There was. Uh, so, my... <laughs> Daniel can't wait to hear this. My question. wife is hoping to be a Navy JAG. Okay. And she's been accepted and just needs to get started. She has one semester left of law school. So, let's let's... Rewind because we had started talking about Kayla, but we hadn't finished that. Oh yeah. So she yeah. ended up graduating and and she went to law school. Yeah, my wife is uh, at law school at UVA right now. Okay, nice. One semester left. And what is a JAG? Navy a JAG is a Judge Advocate General. It is a lawyer who represents both the prosecution and the defense in cases that are like based on military. They could end up being yeah. judges in the military as well. They could, yeah. Yeah, and the Army's JAG school is actually in it's Charlottesville. U- yeah, yeah, so she's UVM. taken a class at the Army JAG school. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so she wants so, to so be a JAG. You're going to have kids someday. Like, yeah, mom's a lawyer, dad's a doctor, and I don't think I'm up for either one of them. <laughs> <laughs> They're a power couple, dude, I'm telling you. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. So so, so she wants na- to be a JAG. Yeah, Navy yeah. JAG, she's not going to be in uh, Colorado with a job like that. No, there are five... Although Colorado, that's a good vibe. You got a good feel on me because that's, I would love to be in residency there. Uh, but there are five bases she could be at. She could be at Bremerton. She could be. At where's, this, where's Bremerton? Um, near Seattle. Okay. Um, San Diego, Norfolk. Obviously, those are the two big ones. And then Pensacola, Jacksonville. And then there's a base up north in like, um, I, I don't know. Like the, Maine, maybe? Yeah, yeah, somewhere in the northeast. I don't yeah. think Maine, but a little lower down. But. It, it, there weren't any good schools there, so neither of us, and she didn't want to go there. So San Diego, were. man. San Diego, but there's only two schools. It's it's hard because she's we we basically have to like both fire bullets randomly into the air and hope our paths can cross. Um, so like as a family medicine doctor, there's need everywhere, and I could even work in an ER or an urgent care if I had to. So I can get a job, or even like you know telemedicine. I could be a doctor on Skype, basically, right, and help do easy things. So after the next three years, I can work anywhere in the world. Um, but for the next three years, I have to be in one spot. And it's the it's not like I can choose to accept a certain job. The way residency works is uh, called the match process. So you make a list of like 15 to 20 schools along with everybody else in the entire country who's trying to go into that field of medicine. And then there's a mathematical formula that optimizes everybody's choices. So basically... The residency will make a rank list of the people that they want. Everybody else makes a rank list of like, oh, you know, I want this one first. This is my second choice. This is my third choice. And they try to minimize the discordance Mm. between them so that 
you know, basically everybody is getting as close to their top choice as possible. So I, you know, you can put stuff on the list um, that you don't necessarily want to have as a top choice. So it sounds like for the next three years. Yeah, we could be living, if we're in Bremerton, there's like five good residencies um, that are really close to each other. So that would be, that would be pretty cool for me. And they're all like really strong residencies too. Um, but Bremerton for her, you know, it doesn't have as much going on as San Diego or Norfolk right? or even, you know, Jacksonville's a pretty big base. Yeah. My brother logs at Jack's. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, like you, you didn't know where Bremerton was. No clue. Yeah. Yeah. So it's K- like Kings Bay. Is it near Kings Bay? It's, it's literally, it's like right across the bay from Mount Olympia. Okay. It, yeah. yeah. Right near Tacoma, like yeah. 20, 30 miles outside of Tacoma, I think. Which is a beautiful area as well. It is a beautiful area. There's great mountain biking, incredible Frisbee. It would be, we're both outdoorsy people. Fun fact about, just because I, yeah, I feel like I have some sort of power right now, but. Go, <laughs> go for it, dude. Yeah, it's all good. You have all the power. You're, you're um, the guest. So the best, best birthday present I've ever gotten uh, two years ago, Kayla said that she would go on a camping adventure of my choosing, no questions asked. She would just go. She would go with me anywhere. It's I'm a great gift. Go. It yeah. was. It was. So this summer, I was working on. I had internal medicine first, which was like six days a week, and then um, of like twelve hour days, and then that seventh day, you're just trying to catch up on sleep and do other stuff, and then you're just like back in it. And then surgery, I had to be at the hospital at like. 4:45 a.m. Um, and then I would leave at like 6 p.m. And for those four months, um, you know, I had one holiday, which was July 4th. And over July 4th weekend, I didn't care what the weather was. I was gonna cash in on my birthday present. <laughs> so we went to uh, Spruce Knob in West Virginia, um, which, if you haven't been, it's beautiful. It's like one of the more remote places that you can go on the East Coast. What part of the state is it? Um, you know, I should know this because I drove. It's all good. It's uh, somewhere. It's not that far into West Virginia. It's not like on the back corner or anything. It's right. kind of just like right in the. I want to say the southern part of West Virginia. It's um, very rural down there. Oh, extremely. Yeah, yeah. They, I think it's like one of the like five darkest places on the East coast as far as like, you know, seeing stars and stuff. Wow. Yeah. So satellite imagery, it's probably dark for (laughs) hundreds of miles around. Yeah. It was extremely quiet. There was not, there was like some houses nearby, but they like Spruce knob, Spruce knob. It's 5,000 feet high. They call it Spruce knob because it's like past the elevation point where the deciduous trees grow. Mm. Um, And it's knobby. And it is. It is kind of knobby. Yeah, it's a little knob. So you were like, this is happening. Oh, so we're going. So, I mean, we're like, I didn't even really, I knew vaguely the details. I knew the route somebody had taken. It's a 16-mile backpacking trip, and we had two days. One way out? 16 miles? It was a loop. So it was like eight eight and eight. Um, And uh, three days, two nights. I was like, man, this will be chill. You know, we can just hike for a little bit, set up base camp, be really a great experience. First night was amazing. Um, it was set up basically in this like really like mossy, almost like cloud foresty from Costa Rica mm. type vibe because it was misty. So there's like moss growing everywhere. Ooh. And there's a little fireplace and it, I'll, I'll show you some pictures. It was, it was like, it looked like it was out of a Subaru commercial, <laughs> you know, it was picturesque. <laughs> 
and, uh, and we're laughing because you just bought a Subaru. I, just, I did just yeah. buy a Subaru, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which you can sleep in. Yeah, um, Subaru is actually our podcast first sponsor. So <laughs> You're, they will we're be aiming now. high. Wow. No, I'm saying that they're already sponsoring us. No, I get, I get it. The, <sighs> the fantasy's fun. But. <laughs> I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah, keep going. So the first night we like froze some chicken and then let it thaw over the course of the day, the course of the drive. So that night we like hiked a mile into this like cloud foresty area and just set up camp. There were like trees all above us. It was super cool canopy. Made a huge fire. Made chicken tacos. It was delicious and amazing and really fulfilling and awesome and it was like man this is this is what camping is all about day two was different so we <laughs> it had been raining for a long time it was in the middle of july right and it was a rainy season uh that year and uh the maps were different online than what they were at like the trailhead so i took a picture of the trailhead took a picture of like a screenshot of the map online and they didn't line up so we were like bah what do we do? We'll just go with what the trail map says, like that's here over online. Should have trusted online. I would have gone trailhead. Uh, that, so that's what that's yeah. what I mean. That's yeah, that's what we did. But we were we chose wrong. So yeah. we ended up walking three miles in the wrong direction that we didn't have to walk. And eventually connected back around, and we saw like a cool meadow. Um, but the trail was an old lumberjacking trail. They're like a lumberjack trail, so like forestry roads and stuff. Mm-hmm. Which, if it's been raining, it's like cut like horizontally onto like a, a slope, so all the water just sat there. And it was like I wore my waterproof hiking boots. Kayla wore like cotton socks and like very lightweight hiking shoes. Ooh. So she was like not she, a happy camper. not a happy camper. And it was she was it was you know it was a good stressful situation where you get to get get to know each other better and. <laughs> You, you sound so married right now. It, it, it's, it's funny right now. I guarantee it was uh, funny. Yeah. So we, we call it the, uh, yeah, I, I used some humor to my advantage, called it the, the trail of toxic masculinity. There's all this lumberjack reference. Wow. It was like, it was, it was dumb. It was stupid. It didn't make any sense to cut a horizontal trail in the middle of a mountain slope that would just turn into like, kidding that like six inch deep mud for like three miles oh. is what she walked through. Oof. And she, and she did it and it was, the most badass thing ever, because she was like not having a good time, and she could tell I really wanted to, and I basically said, "Hey, can you just like suck it up and do it?" And she was like, "It's your birthday present." Fine. Yeah, so she did it, and then that night we again were lost because the two maps didn't make any sense. So we hung, swung around like the edge of this meadow, absolutely beautiful. Kind of come back down. We're like, "Man, all right, let's let's find this campsite." Campsite's not there. That's not where they say it is. The trail names are completely different. We had no idea where we were. Um, we know that if we went back across that muddy trail. Oh, you weren't doing that. No, no, we were not doing that. But there was a way, a different way where we could get where we wanted to go that was consistent. And then we could have figured it out. But we didn't. So anyway, we ended up like kind of walking up and back and up and back trying to figure out whether we just wanted to bail. Because at this point, you know, we could walk home. We're, we're both in pretty good shape. So we could have like we could have bailed and then made it to the car and then figured something out or mm-hmm. just like, you know, camp again by the first spot. Right. Um, but there was a, a storm started rolling in at the top of the mountain and Spruce Knob is tall enough where the, uh, the top of the mountain almost like grabs the thunderstorms. I don't know if you've ever been out West, but the thunderstorms can just like crop up like instantly and mm-hmm. something about like the pressure and the slope of the mountain kind of drives all of the warm air up and that, 
like tumultuous environment creates a lot of like and you're already at the elevation and you're yeah, yeah. so and this this hike is weird because it starts at the top and then you go down so we were down near the bottom of the mountain oh wow looking back up at the top seeing like lightning bolts every 30 seconds and being like uh we can't walk home tonight because i don't we don't want to die right mm. so we got to figure something out we eventually find something that is some semblance of a flat ground to, to, to put a tent on um that night we're like getting the fire going i packed spaghetti i was like man you know what this isn't that far i'll i'll save some weight kayla's being a trooper i'm gonna pack i had like a can of spaghetti sauce so i was like yeah kind of it's glamping you know i was like well carry the extra weight and uh if it, our, our fire got rained out so it, like freaking rained right as we got it the water boiling um terrible it's a, it's a bummer it was a significant bummer because <laughs> i spent an hour and it rained like all that day so we i spent like an hour trying to find dry wood mm. and like the brambles and you got in a bunch of thorns um but i was like i was kind of like secretly loving it and trying not to show it too much because i could see kayla's face is like you know jim this is uh this is a big birthday present you better yeah. come up with something next May. she's not getting happier for sure oh yeah but yeah. like you know to be honest a little scared because you're in the mountains and it's raining and um, so then that night, you know, we like the pasta boils enough, but it's not great, but it's, it's edible. And like when you're that, when you spent that much energy and that many calories, anything tastes delicious. Mm. So it was, it was really good food. Uh, but we ate in the tent cause that was the only dry spot and it was like <laughs> kind of clammy. And then it thunderstormed on us again and we were like, oh, this is kind of scary. And the thunderstorm on us again and like big booming crash. Like in the middle of the night. In now? the middle of the night. Yeah. yeah. So at this point we've probably gotten like three inches of rain and there's a yeah it's bad it's bad and there's a there's a stream that we're by so my whole idea i read online was uh you can camp by a waterfall and by like the stream bed which we could have if we had gone like 200 yards down the mountain but you didn't know we didn't know until the next day until the next morning i mean it would have been ideal but as it was we were basically camped on a sloping side of a mountain that turned into like the entire mountain got three inches of rain probably more up top because it's been raining it's all, all day. following gravity and it's all coming down so the streams at that point we like ran into some guy that had hiked 20 miles out of his way because the streams were now like you know rising to the point where it was going to be dangerous for his dog to cross and uh he needed to get back to the top of the mountain that night because he didn't have anything and, like somebody else's tent um, he had, we had like a cheap REI tent, but it was nice cause it just had like the X, X style of, uh, support poles, mm-hmm. you know, just cross them. It's super easy, a little heavier, but sturdy and you know what you're getting. Somebody else had one of the fancier ones and, um, I guess like one of the poles got a little bent in one of the thunderstorms and just like his tent collapsed. Oh. So we like, we survived way better than a lot of other people. We thrive. Like, I mean, some could say we thrived because we had relatively pasta, speaking, yeah. And relatively speaking, we were thriving, but it was not fun because it was cold, it was clammy, it was wet. Wait, what was the waterfall thing? If you so, uh, two hundred yards down the trail, like down the mountain, yeah. Um, the stream that we were camped by turned into like a really pretty waterfall, and there was a campsite on mm. the other side that you could get to if you like hiked all the way down and then back up around a little bit. Oh, okay, so there's so nothing that was, about waterfalls in general. No, no, we weren't stuck in a waterfall, but it was just like I thought it'd be a pretty place to to sleep and just hang yeah, out. And, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. The white noise, dude. White noise was. Yeah, the white noise of the the rain was. That that's it was also real. nice. I couldn't hear anything. <laughs> yeah, dude, you used to play recordings of thunderstorms and yeah, stuff. I remember that. I still do. 
Alexa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that happened. And then um, the hike out was great because we had been lost for so long at that point. We like basically wrote our own trail map of the mountain, knew exactly where we needed to go, knew where we were, and then hiked out and saw all these other people that like were just completely wrecked. And we were like, it, it puts a perspective. We had a good time. Oh, I, I had a great time. How long ago was that? <laughs> this was like eight months ago. So she'll never give you that gift again. Probably. No, but, but she would go camping again. But, you know, <laughs> the thing that she'll never do is agree to go when I'm the only one checking the weather. Yeah. The, the, the no questions asked clause. So, yeah, right. That's never happening again, for sure. Yeah, no. She would, she would 100. I mean, so this... Um, this May, we're going camping again, uh, but we're going in Scotland. So oh. we're going to do the West Highland Way, nice. which is basically like a 110-mile walk down the spine of Scotland. That's a long walk. It's Yeah, it's seven days. Gorgeous, apparently. I've never been there, but I've, yeah. I've heard nothing but great things about it. Yeah, yeah. So there, there are two nights where we're like just true camping, and then most of the other nights we're staying at like a paid campsite with oh, like nice. showers and stuff. And then a couple nights there in like a little... Some sort of like a shelter structure, and she has more input. Yeah, in and she's case. yeah. So this is a group play, I think. But it's not that she'll never go camping. It's that she'll never hand right. over all of the keys. <laughs> that one time, uh, you guys decided to go camp. <laughs> so the funny thing is, this is the second time. <laughs> I think this is the first time you guys have ever gone camping together. I got you, bl- yeah, it was bad. Oh, you go ahead. You go ahead. Well, <laughs> were you there, you were, Daniel? I, I wasn't with them. But you've heard the story. <laughs> I was there when they came back the same <laughs> night. Wait, did you did you stay the night? or? We did. We did. You actually stayed the whole night. Okay. But we, we did not stay in the tent. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. So they went, they went camping and like... I, our, I don't even, for our anniversary. <laughs> And I, was this a similar thing? Did oh. Kayla have a planning? Did she have? No, she had no idea. So I like, I was like, hey, we're gonna stay at this campsite. <laughs> she was like, I was like, I really, I did a lot of research, but for all, like, I, I feel like I'm pretty good outdoors wise at this point. But it's come through a lot of errors, and I, you know, I wasn't in the Boy Scouts. I, my dad's not a camper. He actually has the name Camper Tom because the one time he went camping, he bailed. I got a hotel room. That's <laughs> <laughs> beyond glamping. Yeah. 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 He's like, right, this is hot. This is summer. I want air conditioning. It's worth $30 to me. Right. Bye. <laughs> See you in the morning. And he loved it. He was like, yeah, yeah, I slept great. So, you want some breakfast? I brought some bagels from the continental thing. So it's, anyway. But this was the opposite of, of summer and hot. This was like so, October, November. There was a campsite, almost like where we stayed um, for the second bachelor party. Yep. Uh, where you like pay to stay at a campsite, and uh, there's like a camp, like a camp guide, who like kind of watches out for everybody. There's like firewood that you could buy. There's like real bathrooms, so you don't have to figure out how to go in the woods. Um, and that's what I thought I was getting into. It's like, oh, there'd be people everywhere. She's kind of afraid of the woods at night. She's from Utah. There aren't trees. There's a lot of weird shadows. Yeah. It's a little scary. Yeah. It's a little scary. Um, so that's what I was like. Yeah, we're going to stay at a campsite. There'll be bathrooms. We get there. Apparently, March is not camping season yet. Even though they call it spring break, it's not spring yet for a lot of people. So there's the campsite's closed out. There's nobody there. Bathrooms are locked. And Where uh, was this? This this was Apple Orchard Falls. It's um, pretty far down 81. Out okay. Lexington, I think. Yep. Yeah. Sounds right. Yeah. 
Um, so anyway, we uh, we so camped, was, and we're like it was all shut down. Everything was shut down, and uh, you know, there's a beautiful apple orchard falls. There's a beautiful apple orchard. There's like a like seventy foot waterfall. It's beautiful. It's an eight mile hike we were gonna do. I packed. We were car camping, like, you know, at a campsite. So I had, like, all of the... Yeah, it was like we were going to cook a full meal, have a great time. Everything was going to be great. Uh, the weather, unfortunately, had other ideas because it got down to 25 degrees that night. And uh, I didn't have a camping pad. I gave her my foam thermo rest, which is not very comfortable. She packed, like, not great clothes. I didn't know that I was... I should have packed more clothes at that point either i was like oh spring break <laughs> you know <laughs> so and she's like kind of scared i'm like no 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 we'll make a big fire it'll be fine it'll be fine and so she's like jim i'm like really scared i'm like no it'll be fine the one good news the good thing about camping first in the season is that there's camp wood there's camp wood firewood everywhere you know like mm. dead branches fall down all nice. over the place so it's like two minutes of searching we have enough wood for the night um make a huge fire it's nice. We make mar- we make uh, s'mores, or she calls them schmoes, and um, it's good. Then we go to get in the tent. I like convince her to like spend the night, just try it, even though she like wants to leave. And she was, it, it she did it, and then like never fell asleep. I was snoring. I was very comfortable, <laughs> but she was like freezing cold. And we ended up leaving at uh, midnight, like two a.m. Uh, or something, and. Uh, Drove, just bailed, left the tent, left everything. <laughs> just like, you <laughs> didn't back up? No. We're like, okay, come get them, figure this stuff out in the morning. <laughs> and so we, Kayla was so miserable. Oh my God. She, like, she, could, she was so cold, she couldn't fall asleep. She was like horribly uncomfortable, terrified, because it was like, it was creepier than camping in the woods because it was an empty, deserted campsite with like locked bathrooms and stuff where like a, like a tractor you know that was abandoned it was creepier than it was it was it was objectively creepy and my favorite part of this whole thing is like you have very you like try to solve problems creatively in the moment and so you were like i think this is the time that you like got rocks and you put them next to the fire <laughs> yeah you like heat the rocks up and then put them into the sleeping bag with you guys did it work you're like here's some hot rocks I was sleeping great. <laughs> but hot rocks don't stay hot that long. No. That's the problem. <laughs> oh, man. No, no, no. And people sleep at different temperatures. So too. she gave you the, the gift. Oh, this was you after. pick everything. It was afterwards. Wow. Yeah. No, she's a keeper. Man. She's a, she, is, she knew what she was signing up for. She is the bravest person I've ever met. Legitimately. Wow. For marrying me and then also just... Like the stuff she's done, she's afraid of heights, and like there's a ride in Vegas where you can clip into, like this guide wire and jump off of a 100 story building, 80 stories which are free fall, and then they slow you down the last 20 stories. Sounds terrifying. Yeah, and she's afraid of heights. And she did it. And she did it. She's like, wow, she's the bravest person I know. Man, no, thank you. Yeah. So That's Daniel, awesome. Daniel was your best man. He sure was, and, and he gave uh, an amazing best man speech. I understand. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He did. The reason why I liked the speech so much was that he didn't have to, he didn't try to like, like explain our relationship through rose colored glasses. He just said exactly who I was and exactly who Kayla was and like why that was such a beautiful combination. And it was like, it was just great. And he told like really funny stories. He's a thoughtful cat. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And like, 
it was just really cool to hear so much love from somebody who's so thoughtful and so reflective and really just like on top of that like just nailed nailed everything and like just it was it was great yeah dude i was trying to be uh I don't know. I don't know what it, I don't know what you have to do to be a best man. You know what I mean? It's like I mean, sounds like do what you did. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, just not, every, everyone was like giving me advice on stuff. They're like, do this and like make sure that they have like a, a fruit plate. You know, on the morning of their wedding. Like, oh God! All I know is that we hit the gym the morning of. That was that was a that was a win. You want to talk about chiseling, Paul? <laughs> we, wedding wedding day chiseling. Wedding. We what? absolutely. There's still video. There's still Dude, where I think those were on my old phone. Your flip phone? No, 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 no. no. Did it die? Oh, that's all right. They're, in, I, our, they're I, in our minds. I I can replay almost all. I of must that have thing. sent them to you though. They're somewhere. I, they must be somewhere. Basically, we did intense <laughs> workouts with every single bit of hotel gym equipment. The day of the wedding. <laughs> morning. Yeah, of. This is the morning of the wedding in Ogden, Utah. So we gotta wait for Paul to get back for this. <laughs> this, this cracked me up. <laughs> uh, I'll take a yeah, yeah, but you, not a, not an IPA. If you want a time check, it's eight o'clock. Oh, I don't good. know if you have a curfew. But. Yeah, my I have to. Yeah, Yingling would be great. Okay. would be great. Yeah, I just have to leave at ten. Oh, okay. Well, hey, we're probably not going to go that long. Okay. My son needs nine o'clock over here. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but uh. That's pro, great. Pro tip, before you go on an adventure, just say, what time is an appropriate time for me to leave when you're married? When you're okay. married? What yeah. time is an appropriate time for me yeah. to... What's, what's, the, what's the hall time? If you just talk about it first. Like when you were telling Kayla. Like tonight. I know, I know 10 p.m. is when I have to leave. Because I okay. was like, okay, what time should You got I leave? that out of the way up front. Yeah, Instead of being like, yeah, I'm going to mm-hmm. hang out tonight. That's when you get in trouble. That's when like, you could, I could leave at 7 and not have talked about it and be in way, like, that's, that's a no-go because you're not communicating. Right, but communication. But if you say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave at 10. Yeah. I'm by like 10, 30, 10, 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's communicated. It's later, but it's... But the communication makes it okay. Yeah. This is good stuff, dude. Yeah. I'm taking notes. So we would like morning of hotel gym and hot tub. Hot tub came after the gym. So we got up and we like I'm shaved. So, I'm so, I'm so, hold, the, hold on, what, what time was the wedding? A wedding, so the ceremony was at six. Okay, we had plenty of time. Yeah. Making more sense now. We got up and we just. I got I got married on top of a mountain. It was pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah. Whose idea was it to to go to the gym? It, I think it was mutual. It was like we were like we. we gotta I do think this. we both thought about it independently because you got up really early that morning for from the jitters. Yeah, and, and we had to go. We went to breakfast. And we were like, "Yeah, Yo, you want to go to the you want to go to the gym?" And you were like, "Yes, I was about to ask, dude." And then we activated. Yeah. And so what we would do is we activated extreme chiseling. So. Yeah. <laughs> so we go into the gym equipment. It's like there's like three machines maybe, um, and then like some uh, running things or yeah. no, it was bikes. Tra- yeah, bikes and a treadmill. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. Where was the wedding? So it's in Utah. It's in Utah. Yeah. O- Ogden, Utah. Southern, yeah. uh, centralish. Uh, it's right in Salt Lake Valley ish. Yeah. So we got married at a ski resort called uh, Snow Basin. Okay. Yeah, on a mountain. It was gorgeous. Wasatch. Dude. Yeah. Wasatch okay. front. So, uh, but but so I took the, I took these videos and it would be like I, I'm walking down the hallway in the hotel and I just happen to go to like pass the gym so I walk into the gym and as soon as I go into the gym. Jim's in there, shirt off, just like <laughs> sprinting on the treadmill, just like full out. 
<laughs> and we would do there was like a series of videos like that another one i uh, was like I, I took a video of me like pouring one of those little paper cups of water so i'd like pour one out and then i'd turn around and jim's like furiously like cycling on the cycle machine it's like lance armstrong style like give me the water yeah he like <laughs> it. i give it i give it his hand and he drinks it and then like smashing it <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> oh man uh, dude and so we just did ridiculous stuff like that and yeah. got, we got all hyped hit the hot tub dude yeah, yeah. and uh yeah and then we went um and got like dressed and shaved and did all that stuff. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was it was great. It was great. Yeah, man, it was a, it was a good day. Yeah. How much of your uh, family and friends were able to make it out there? A lot, actually. That's great. Yeah, yeah. There's some family members that weren't able to make it, but pretty much everybody was. That's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. My neighbor, Mr. Harold, was able to make it. That oh, no, really? Yeah, my grandma and grandpa were. Able to. Oh wow. Actually, my grandma and grandpa weren't, but Mr. Harold was there. Oh wow. Um, You're really tight with him. Oh yeah, like he's like, um, he's like that first mentor that you have. He's like who taught me how to drive a boat, taught me how to fish. Nice. If I ever had like a real life problem, I would talk to him. Oh wow, wow, yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, he's an awesome guy. Yeah, we're gonna get him on. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. Yeah, soon. Yeah. So, was there anything else that you like to do during the podcast? I uh, guess there is. Uh, there is, but you started with sports. I did. Yeah, well, it threw me off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go into sports again. I'm, I do, do you have thoughtful sports. questions around American sports for your friend Jim here, Daniel? Well, I know that you follow basketball. Yeah. And that you're a Utah Jazz fan. No, I know what I want to ask about. Oh, here we Sorry. go. Okay. Run it as back. Long, as long as you're staying in American we, sports. We yeah. can't have – no, it's not sports. We, we can't have uh, uh, somebody who's, like, you know, trying to become a doctor on the podcast without asking their opinion of the coronavirus. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Before you give, give it some thought, Jim. The reason Daniel's okay. asking this question is we have uh, hired two volunteer podcast coaches. And, yep. <laughs> they're people that we happen to know. And one of them has given us the advice of uh, actually starting podcasts with topical conversation. But we're throwing it in towards the end. It's all yeah. good. Yeah. No, yeah. Just yeah. figuring out what, you, what your thoughts are on it. Just All yeah. right. Yeah, so I have... I've thought about it a little bit. I don't have the most up-to-date information, but the coronavirus, much like any virus, spread through respiratory droplets. It's not wrong to relate it to the flu. It's a little bit more serious than the flu, but as far as like symptomatology, effects of the lungs, um, it's kind of similar to the flu. It is a health risk. It's like you know potentially deadly for people that are... Um, elderly or sick, especially like what we were seeing in, in Washington with the, the folks dying in the nursing home. Right. That's mm-hmm. kind of like who's at risk of dying. Um, everybody there, I mean, a lot of people are at risk of getting it and it would not be fun to get, but I, I think, you know, like a, a young, healthy person, you know, realistically would be laid up for a little while. My, my thoughts as far as outbreak goes, it's hard to tell, you know, this is something that's like basically as infectious as the common cold and the delay between symptoms. It's not like Ebola where you get Ebola and you're like, you know, yeah. seriously late. You're, like you're you, done. You, yeah. Yeah. Um, which makes it more dangerous because you can walk around with it, you know, in a way like Ebola was, you know, I, I don't know what the numbers are just because so many people have been infected, but it, it killed a lot of people. Right. Um, but not that many people were infected and it didn't really get anywhere. Whereas this, you know, you can travel around with it. And if, you were trying to create a virus that could infect the whole world and like 
spread really quickly, it would be this. Yeah, it's not, it's not as deadly as SARS, which was another type of, like a subset of coronavirus that came out, that was around like 2000, mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not as deadly as SARS, um, but, you know, that, that means that not as many people are going to die, but it also means... Um, like there's a bigger chance for spread of infection. I wouldn't. I wouldn't travel right now to De- China. Definition of pandemic. R- refresh your memory. There's a, yeah. I, I don't know off the top of my head. Subjectively, this is not the right answer. But like the what I would consider a pandemic is if like the the moment you start talking about stuff on national news, it's a pandemic. Mm. You know, the flu could be a pandemic, but it's you know something. It's it's got a bit of like it's novel. Something new is happening here. Right. There's no vaccines for it. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, there's a game, I think it's called Contagion or Pandemic yeah. or something. And as a virus, you have to strike this balance where you want to kill people, but you don't want to kill them too fast. Uh, Wait a the game is you're pretending to be yeah, the, you're the you're, virus. You're the virus. Okay. Yeah. So you want to be asymptomatic at first so that you can actually get transmitted. And you do want to yeah. kill people because if you are not powerful then nobody dies but if you're too powerful everybody you dies. kill people too quickly yeah. and then you die because you have no hosts to uh to jump to so you want to live forever and kill people along the way so you want to be like you want to have like a good asymptomatic like incubating period and then you want to kill people yeah so and so, this one and that's kind of what's happening you know like you don't show symptoms for like a couple weeks so it's like, which is crazy. that's why they're that's why they're quarantining quarantining people for so long right so that's why, that's why this is different. That you know, the current virus. This is different than Ebola. You know, Ebola had a huge response just because of the potential for deadliness if it did spread. Right. Um, you know, where like I was scribing at the time, and the hospital had Ebola precautions. Yeah, which was ridiculous because like at that, I don't know how many, like less than twenty thousand people got Ebola. I think less than like I think less than five thousand people got it in the states. Or, uh, worldwide. 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 It started in Africa, right? Yeah, and it basically yeah. just stayed in Africa. Yeah, that's right. Um, but the the fatality rate is like, it's like 40% or something crazy. And once you catch high. it, it's awful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas for higher. the coronavirus, I've it's, heard like 2 3%, maybe. Yeah, I think it's probably a little lower. It's probably like closer to 1 or less than like one like 0.5 to mm. 1. Depends on how big the denominator is, right? And then yeah, yeah. how many question. people are like getting it and not not saying anything right and then go untested or yeah. yeah i would think that it was that's another thing there's not enough testing resources for people right now hmm. so we don't have a full picture of the data yeah, yeah full picture at I'm, least in the states i'm guessing that but it's the denominator is understated by five or six times it's my mm-hmm. but, but I'm, not, I'm not a professional yeah. oh no i'm i'm by no means like a i mean people get phds in this this is more than just like understanding how to treat the disease this is like epidemiology hmm. what are you looking at me for because uh you and i are about to have an epidemiologist on uh, the podcast we right? are dude yeah. oh well that would be really fascinating yeah that's gonna be really cool Very that, cool. yeah yeah because it's like it's a i mean you go to school for understanding how disease spreads and then you like you know just sort of taught wash your hands she's a phd from northwestern let's All right. give yeah. us a uh like be a celebrity give us a celebrity question that we can pass on to kiari when we have Ron. Okay. Like, like, a, like what would you ask an epidemiologist? Nice name drop too, by the way. Oh, yeah. thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a little um, teaser. That's a good, good question. That's a good, like as far as like what, like about coronavirus? About any, yeah. Coronavirus, anything given your 
like level of knowledge of the medical world. I think a good question would be: Would if you've bought plane tickets to uh, Germany like a year ago? It's your grandma's 80th birthday. You're set. Whole family's going to be there. This is a vignette. I like it. it. Is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing it back. Very good, Paul. Um, would you? Would you go? Like right In now, Germany. as an epidemiologist, ethically, morally, and even just like you know, per, as far as personal health goes, mm-hmm. on those three things, would you go knowing that it could potentially spread the disease, and does that impact your moral code? You could go and contract the disease. How big of a deal is that? to you like what are your thoughts on how severe this is mm-hmm. and then i don't know would you put the interesting your, would... interesting to talk about your grandma's yeah. birthday too yeah. so that's what i would ask that's a good one man that is a serious and, and we, we didn't write anything down because we have it recorded now we have it recorded yeah, right. we're actually just going to play the recording, play the recording. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be like this is jim he's a doctor <laughs> md one of the reasons i think jim wants to be a doctor is so that when somebody on a plane has heart pains, Dude. he can stand up and yell, I'm, I'm a doctor. A doctor. <laughs> so, uh, it's got to be one of the best perks. You, is, you, it is. Do, you, uh, do so. you take plane trips just to <laughs> increase your chances? Dude, every day. <laughs> I fly every day. <laughs> that, so that is one of the reasons why I wanted to be a family medicine doctor. There's a lot of reasons, but one of the very, very small reasons is the ability to deliver babies. Because I think that's a realistic scenario that could happen. I don't know if you've seen Seth Meyers' video on Netflix mm. called Lobby Baby. But his wife has a baby at the lobby. Oh, wow. And it just happens. Yeah. And, you know, if there's a baby on a plane, I want like, I, I to know enough where I could either deliver the baby or be like, okay, here's what you do, here's what you don't. And, and no, that's part of, part of the appeal of being a journalist is knowing a little bit about everything. I like I like feeling useful. Yeah. I like... This is a little bit of a weird metaphor, but I like feeling like a uh, like a gardener, you know. And each of my patients is like a different type of plant, and you need to know like what humidity they like, whether it's full shade, partial shade, you know, how much to water them. Do they play well with other plants? Do they like acidic soil? There's like a lot of intricacies there, right. and mm. it starts out simple, but the more you get to know, the more that you need to know, you know, the the more complicated things get. And that that idea of like really helping this like whole garden patient population or like right. your panel patients thrive is is really appealing i, mm. I, I like that makes i, w- I want to be a doctor for like almost selfish reasons because i i like feeling useful i that feeling is like makes me feel like i'm a better person yeah i think that role in a group of people is like ancient i think it yeah. goes back to as long as humans have existed yeah you know the they might not have known a lot, the doctors back then. Yeah. <laughs> they might have put they might have, the like, four humors, but yeah, they might have screwed up a lot. But like, I think that they yeah. have, it feels like that similar. They're they're filling that role. You're going to yeah. be filling that role that yeah. will always be needed. Yeah, by people. Yeah, yeah, and that's exact. That's like that role is what appeals to me as much as you know. I'm a big science nerd, and knowing all these facts. Mm. Is important. It does appeal to me. You know, I'm the, always going to be the kid that's knocked Mythbusters at 9 p.m. past my bedtime. Yeah. And love the science and love all the experiments and love learning about it. But at the end of the day, it's, it's the role that leaves me feeling fulfilled. And I like that. That's a very good uh, uh, linguist's approach, like a cross-cultural perspective. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. 
I like I like thinking about stuff that is kind of like a human a human nature type thing. But I thought that it, that was great, dude, right there. I like the gardening analogy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that's almost a good note to end on. No, no, no hold on. Let's not end yet. So uh, <laughs> we need to just Beautiful. explain part of the reason. Jim's here because obviously you guys are really tight. Yeah. And you, and you love talking to each other about yeah. these. But you had this notion a couple months ago that basically a bunch of experienced, middle-aged, and elderly people needed to be on the podcast. Right. And, and that the place you were coming from was a fantastic place. But I'm like, I want to hear about people that are about to just make big differences in the world. We can talk yeah. about their potential. We can talk about their experiences to date and, and talk about whatever the future may hold. But yep. Jim's in his 20s, like you both are, and he's already lived a really cool life. He's already a, He's gone through more schooling than probably 99% <laughs> of people my, ever. My yeah. entire family. Yeah, combined. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my extended family. Yeah. <laughs> I've been in school like what eighty percent of my life. Yeah, easily. No, I can't. Well, including zero to six. Yeah, and you're about yeah. to take on the mantle of one of the most you know honorable professions that there is. So yeah, well then let's let's uh let's ask about that then. Like, yeah. um, what is like. What big changes are you going to make in the world? What's what's Jim's so, future? All right, all right. I like this question a lot. I think uh, you're. So what you were saying, it is an exciting time. I feel like I'm. So I'm 27, turning that cusp of real adult. You know, a lot of science behind ADD. You know, my brain is finally making some of the connections that most people make at like 23, 24. I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of like who I'm going to be, more or less for the rest of my life. And I'm, that's like happening this year. And uh, you you almost choose like what you believe in and what you're willing to put time in for, what you're willing to sacrifice. Everything gets more clear as you get older, especially being married too. Like your priorities kind of percolate through the gravel. Yep. And then what comes out on the other side could be water. It's, yeah, hopefully coffee. And <laughs> what? So the percolator is a is a method of brewing coffee, which is where that was. I know, from. dude. I yeah. just, I just. No, but it's like I'm trying you, to follow you here. You, you got to get the right ingredients to your life. You put them in the right the right pot. You put some boiling water in there, and and coffee comes out. You know, from yes. this like little bits of stuff that tastes terrible. And yeah. I think that life uh, you need some sacrifice, and you need some things to believe in, and you need to find a way to keep your perspective and keep your humility. Kind of like that. I don't know if you can tell, Dr. Markovic was like great source of like somebody that's getting it done and it's like setting himself up for like a lifetime of like kind of what like what i want to be 10 years down the line you know a lot of a lot mm. of doctors i've worked with are like 50 60 70 and it was cool or their residents and it was cool to work with somebody that was you know 39 had right. just had a kid and um it's very relatable you know like 10 years down the line, like, yeah, it's, I, you know, every, I don't know if everybody does, but like five year plan, 10 year plan, mm -hmm. that's like where I want to, that's where I want to be in 10 years. Like with that same perspective, that same humility, that same humbleness. And I, I think that's kind of, it is an exciting time because I'm starting to figure out what I believe in. So 10 years, 10 years down the line, what will my practice look like? Mm -hmm. I would love to be a family medicine doctor for people of all age groups from birth, I love making faces at a little baby and making them coo and caw, and that doesn't feel like work. I can't believe I get paid to just know things about how to raise a baby and what vaccines they need, and they can come in, and I can just help keep them healthy. 
and give advice. And that's awesome. And then like old people too, like up to like, you know, eighties, nineties, knowing like, you know, having some of those end of life discussions that are really hard. Like, you know, are you, do you really want to do this procedure? Do you need this testing? Do you need to go through chemotherapy at, you know, 75, 80, where it's going to be really hard on you and your last, it's going to give you six months and they're not going to be good ones. Or you could have two months and they'll be great ones. Mm. Um, having those conversations to like the healthy people that need, a, you know, just a doctor to prescribe them, you know, meds or like somebody that's not healthy that needs like a life coach to, you know, everything. I want to be that. But ideally, I'll have my own practice. I'll have a basketball hoop in my front building. And then something I just imagined for myself, like the, the is endless possibilities, but I, I really want to be that gardener and be able to be the doctor that somebody needs and know what each of my patient needs. Uh, um, they're, they're all different. You know, they need different levels of light and all that jazz. But I really like taking care of teenagers just because it's such a, like an exciting time of life too, where you're starting to figure out what you are and who you are. And, and a weird time too, right? It's weird too, yeah. which, you know, I'm, I'm kind of weird too. So it kind of fits. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we all as humans are like, just being a human is, is being weird. It's part of humanity. Um, but it's just, it's like, it's, it's just wonderful to like watch the awkwardness and be like, yeah, I was there. And then like, no to help. And I, I want to just have like a basketball hoop and then like a, you know, challenge me and win. Like if you win, you'll get like a prize or something. Is this know. an indoor like Nerf hoop? No, I'm talking about like, outside? like, like yeah, the one both, we have here. I would take both, but I would take like, I would love to be able to figure out how to do one outside. I'll take a Nerf one and just play horse. Yeah. But I would love to just whoop up on some teenagers at basketball <laughs> as like, and then call that being a doctor, you know, like whoop up on them be like, all right, I scored a point. So, you know, like, are you sexually active? You know, I feel like that conversation would go so much better after I like pretend to dunk it's, on them. It's only a little off putting at that point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like that conversation is ever going to be good. And obviously yeah. they're like, you know, there are some people that just, you want to be like extremely professional with, and that would, you know, I wouldn't do that with them. You know, you got to be able to be straight laced at times, but kind of having some of that fun and being able, this is, it's a bit of a swerve changing directions, but learning something I'm thinking about, something I'm working on actively is figuring out how much of my personality and how much of my own experiences to share with my patients Mm -hmm. and use that like, therapeutic relationship and sharing my own struggles um, as a way to connect with people and then help them work through whatever they're working through and give them a place to share what they're what they're like i think you should share as much as you feel comfortable sharing i think it would be massively helpful that's for a lot of people that's what i'm finding Yeah. yeah i think there's a big push to be extremely quote unquote professional Think, as a doctor, I think, and I think, I think it's think just wrong. a load of crap. I think it's wrong. It makes me angry. I, it makes a, me angry. It, yeah. Yeah. it makes me angry that people are like that. Yeah, no, there's a big pressure to put... Um, so a lot of people have called me unprofessional as a doctor, and I think that's ridiculous. I think, I, I think they're I'm, scared. I think... <laughs> I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it's too safe. It, yeah, that's exactly... It's self-preservation I see, I see. Yeah. for them. Yeah. Yeah, no, you got... Making yourself vulnerable is hard. But it's really it's, useful. Yeah. So if you can make yourself, my my goal to answer your question, bring it back, making my learning how to make myself vulnerable and be able to you know make a fool of myself and joke about myself and share you know hardships that I've gone through that are that I'm still working through, 
and just acknowledge that I'm not perfect and they don't need to be perfect. And that's part of the human experience is just figuring this all out. If I can do that in like real and meaningful ways and connect with people of all age groups from like, you know, two months old to, you know, 100 years old, Mm. that's my goal. It's a great way right in the podcast. Well, we'll have you back on in about 10 years to see how you're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll have a couple of uh, stops along the way. Before that, sure. Probably. I mean, yeah. By, by uh, like three years from now, we can travel nationally. And then 10 years from now, we'll go all over the world. But, you know, we could be...